0: afternoon and
1: good morning. And I always change the order of those whenever I take over for introducing for Dave
0: exactly.
1: on the Silmarillion Film Project. This is Trish Lambert. Dave is not with us. He is PhDing today. He's got yes. some stuff he's got to be doing with his uh, dissertation advisor. So he, it, we, you know, he has, it's not a Wally day. It's actually a PhD day for Dave. So, that's
2: right. um, so <laughs> he's yeah, not he, here for grown-up reasons. To, uh, that, uh, yeah,
1: that's reason. right. It's a grown-up reason that he's not here today. But he said he might be able to join us later. I hope he will, but we're not counting on it. So anyway, yeah. off we go to the final, absolutely final, no question absolutely about final. it, episode yep. of season three, which is really awesome. We have a lot of ground to cover. That is Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor in the background. And I'm going to step aside because there's some announcements we need to cover before we start. <laughs>
2: There are. There are some very exciting things. Of course, the big news in the air that I was able, delightedly, to announce yesterday afternoon – uh, is that Signet University has officially received program approval uh, by a unanimous vote of the Higher Education Commission of the State of New Hampshire yesterday. Um, one of the, the pieces of vocabulary that a lot of people use and that we even in the past have used because it's used in many places is the question is state certification. Uh, I have been told certification isn't the vocabulary they use in New Hampshire. So, uh, but. Um, uh, but this is essentially what is often called certification. Program approval is what we have received uh by the higher education commission uh It means you know we are now uh, a legit university in this in the state of new hampshire uh, it's a huge huge uh uh hurdle. There are really two steps uh that we need to take towards credentialing um there are other things you know there are many other things that we need to do along the way but but this is the result we we underwent. Uh, a very rigorous, comprehensive review of our entire university program uh, with the state of New Hampshire. And this is the result of that review. So this is, you know, the first time we have had a set of, uh, you know, official higher education uh, reviewers scrutinizing all of the ins and outs of Signum and our academic program and, and our, our, our staff and our financials and everything else. Uh, and our program was approved by unanimous vote. So it's a huge, huge day, uh, major milestone, obviously, lots of stuff still to do. Um, this is not, just to clarify, to make sure everyone understands, this is not the accreditation point uh this is what qualifies us now to apply for accreditation this is the thing you know when when people have been asking me uh you know why don't you apply for accreditation yet uh the answer is because we have to complete this first and it's been a big process and we're done with that now uh so we're now moving on to the next uh to the next uh frontier uh so big year ahead uh you know as we continue to to move forward and to push forward but this is a huge huge thing thanks so much to everybody who has helped to make that possible and who has worked to uh uh to to move us along and stuck with us and supported us uh for so many years as we have been uh building up from scratch and uh doing this thing which uh it, i i i'm not sure i'm not sure that um I I don't know how many times this has ever been done, honestly. You know, like there are people who have started up new schools, but when they do, they almost always do it in one of two ways, right? Either as a spinoff from an established institution or with a big bunch of money, like you'll get a rich person who says, I have this big chunk of money, take this big chunk of money and start up a school um, to start up a school with no institute, you know, completely independent institutionally and with no startup funding. I, I don't know that that's ever been done before, uh, but we're doing it at Signum and it is pretty amazing. Um, but um Anyway, yeah, so so that is super exciting. That's our big news of the week, uh, big news of the month, really. Okay, big news of the decade, really, so far, but uh, we'll see what we can do uh, moving forward. Um, one thing, though, that I do want to, uh, 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 as far as an uh, upcoming events announcement, um, the Big thing that's happening soon. Our next regional event uh, in Northern California, Baymoot, uh, which is going to be located in Oakland, California, um, is happening in two weeks. Uh, That is going to be on the 18th Saturday, the 18th of August. And I am... um, uh, I'm going to, I'm going away this coming week. I'm going to be on vacation this coming week and I won't be doing any of my broadcasts next week. So I'm trying to emphasize this very strongly because the registration deadline is next Saturday, the 11th. So like the day I'm coming back from vacation is the day it's closed. So this is my last chance to remind everybody before I go on vacation that we're going to be um, uh, that we're going to be uh, uh, doing Baymoot, which is which is going to be awesome. We've never been out in Northern California before, uh, so we're really excited uh, to do that. I can't wait to go out and meet people out there. We've got a bunch of uh, great people showing up already, uh, so I hope you'll be able to join us. It's going to be a really, really cool gathering out there in Northern California. So Baymoot, deadline a week from tomorrow. Uh, Don't forget about that. You can find the registration information and everything else you need at signumuniversity.org. Just scroll down a little bit to the events page and you'll see the stuff there. I should probably, arguably, advance the slide to where we're talking about that. Yeah, Um, we do have our summer reading program is still ongoing. Um, uh, Our our summer camps uh, we're finishing today our Chronicles of Narnia camp, but we still have our Wrinkle in Time camp, which begins next week on the sixth, so people can still get involved in that. Um, Yeah, cool. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. So those are those are our our very unusually exciting announcements today um uh so we're gonna we're gonna today as i say we're gonna be um shifting uh to thinking about lots of different things uh finishing or tying up all of the loose ends thinking about all the different uh creative contributions and sort of post-production details of season three today there are three things that we're going to cover uh from season three today one is the music as i uh as i've said the second is going to be um the uh we we didn't quite finish the costuming you may remember that was actually a couple episodes back uh we got as far as the bad guys and then i I sort of uh, threw in the towel when we when we got to the to the to the bad guys but I want to think about the our you know, sort of the conceptual design uh for the evil characters especially sauron's crew um in uh uh in in season three and then of course we also need to do uh, to talk about locations uh we have a bunch of images and suggestions and i, I love most of the suggestions so uh we, we won't take too long about talking about the locations but it's always fun to think of and of course to plan uh our location scouting trips because that's that's super important um all right so uh let's hang on i'm looking at my lists here to see when we can get philip back hopefully um trish will you keep an eye on that to make sure we can get philip in when we when we get yeah, him back
3: I'll do
2: that. <laughs> I appreciate that okay all right so then i've got my attendee list
1: set to p my attendee
2: list <laughs> is set on. very good very good excellent <laughs> so let's move forward briefly to going back to let's start with the costuming and return to the costuming so the villains um we we talked about costuming and sort of the visual concept of uh, of of lots of uh, of the you know of, of all the good guys. We did, we we stopped when we got to the when we got to the bad guys. So we have our primary figures here: Gothmog, Thuringwethel, Drugluin, Tevildo, uh, and of course Morgoth himself. Uh, one of the things that we already talked about earlier on in the season is sort of the changes that are going to be coming to, uh, to Morgoth uh, as time goes on. And one of the things that I think we need to, to be keeping in mind, again, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but the thing that I would really like to do, my goal is that as the seasons move forward and we move towards the end of the first day, the closer we get to the end of the first stage, the less human, I want Morgoth to look. I mean, and I, and I mean human in the sense of human versus elf. I mean, I just want him to look less and less and less like a person, more and more like a like a robot or a statue. I, the, the the idea is as he is draining his own power away, as he is distributing his own power through his own malice, through his own attempts to bring uh, dominion and you know to to assert dominion and to to bring vengeance upon things. Uh, we need to show him weakening. And one of the ways in which I would like to sort of show that is to, to have him look less and less just sort of normal, have him look uh, uh, more kind of gray and, uh, uh, and, and sort of stony. Uh, and um, again just <laughs> drain away is his humanity. I know he doesn't have humanity, but if you understand what I mean by that, he should look less like a real person, less dynamic. Um, mm-hmm. uh more hollow, if you see what I mean. Um, well and
1: also he's it's a reflection of his inability to change. Remember how we talked about that that he yes. like Sauron has the same thing later where he can't change form anymore. And uh, oops and um you know and, and I think you're right, like the robotic thing is kind of cool where he'd be working walking more stiffly, moving more stiffly for
2: um, Yes. So yes. all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's why I was thinking of, you know, like the images that were coming to mind were things like robot or or statue. Right. Because um, and, and the reason I think I'm thinking that way is exactly that kind of rigidity, Trish, exactly as you're suggesting, the kind of lack of flexibility. Right. He is locked into uh, his form. So to even show that it's like, you know, he should have less facial expression, you know, as we move forward, you know, even his wrath will not be, you know, his face should be just kind of increasingly set into this, uh, uh, into this, this, this sort of image of, of, of disdain. Right. Um, but, uh, (laughs) Mariel says uh, Morgoth is falling into the uncanny Valley. Yeah. Yeah. There, it should be, it should be kind of uncanny Valley actually. Uh, um, I think that that, I think that that works. Um, yeah, yeah. Tony is thinking about, uh, uh, reflecting his paranoia, um, foreshadowing Denethor wearing his male armor under his clothes. Um, so yeah, in some ways, I mean, certainly I'm not sure I see paranoia with Morgoth exactly in the same sense other than kind of paranoia about his, um, about his dignity, right? Like that he should be more and more touchy and more and more, uh, uh, you know, sort of intolerant of other people, um, you know, failing him or disobeying him. I could see things getting worse and worse for his people who don't do it, you know, who fail to accomplish the th- the tasks that that he sets them, uh, and and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Tony says maybe fear is a better word. Yeah, I mean I can see I can see uh, the him being fear, you know, sort of showing that increasingly he is, uh, you know, fear is a factor for him. You know that we see that he is part of his, you know, tyranny rests in his increasing insecurity that's always been kind of an issue you know that anybody who insists as much as morgoth does that he really should be in charge of everything is probably insecure right um anyone who is wanting everybody else always to acknowledge his own superiority probably has doubts about it right so that kind of you know like i am concerned about you know like that every i i i want to make sure everybody you know is yielding to me all the time um yeah, as I say, that's really something that should be uh, uh, that 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 gets emphasized and should be should be a focal point. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Antonia, I agree. As we as especially as we focus on Turgenev, uh, it would be really interesting to show that uh, his own sort of fixation on Turgenev and, and the and the projections there. Yeah. Ooh. Mario is wondering if uh, the names of, of Iluvatar or Manway should become forbidden in his presence Mario I can see a, uh, a script exchange right a, a, a dialogue between um, uh, between Morgoth and Sauron where we uh, 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 where we do have uh, Sauron uh, referring to to Manway or to Iluvatar and to have... You know, Morgoth rebuke him, right, and tell him not to utter that name in his presence. I, I can definitely see that. I think that would work really well. Um, okay, so, but let's think about concepts. This, this, again, it's visual concepts, especially, that we really want to think about uh, in conjunction with the rest of these. And especially the animal ones are, to me, the most challenging, right? So when we get to things like, for instance, um, Oh well, here's Morgoth, which I forgot to advance, which, we're, uh, uh, which we should be doing. Um, I like, by the way, if we look at this sort of, uh, you know, these two different images of Morgoth. These are both, uh, these are both Brianna's, I think. Um, we've got, you know, him with his crown with the silmarils, and then we've got, you know, him. This sort of contrast, I think, is really is really kind of cool, right? You know, this and this is uh, this d- does a good job of um, uh, Kind of capturing what I was talking about about that decrease of of humanity, right? Um, his face should just look look less like a look less like a normal person. Um, the eyes, Brianna, I really like this, right? Um especially the way that we were connecting, of course, you'll remember Morgoth's connection to light is something we were strongly emphasizing in the first season and his kind of claim over light that light is uh, is is sort of his obsession. Um, and having his eyes actually glow like that, have his eyes not be, you know, have him have no irises and no pupils, but just, you know, glowing light uh for his eyes. Uh would I actually really kind of like that, right? That is a very uh Marielle, that's a very uncanny valley kind of look, right? Um, to have somebody's eyes just just solid glowing light like that. Um and it fits it seems to fit to me uh to uh to convey both of those things, right? Both the fact that he's kind of losing it, right, and he's not, uh, you know, sort of operating on the same level of, as other people. He's, 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 he's losing his, himself. But at the same time, his own pride, right, um, that he would kind of think it was an upgrade, right, that, uh, that you know, he is, he is the source of all light. He owns all light. He, he is the one who emanates light. So light, like, shines out of his eyes. Um, not to mention the fact, that, um, uh, not to mention the fact that he, the light shining out of his eyes thing is an interesting kind of foreshadowing, right? Um, we have like Gollum's eyes shining, uh, are, are an interesting kind of parallel, right? There's more than one person. Uh, whose eyes are going to be actively luminous? That's actively luminous eyes are a thing in Tolkien, right? Especially among bad guys, um, but if, sometimes with good guys too. But anyway, actively luminous eyes are 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 kind of a thing. So to show Morgoth as like a a sort of template for that is interesting, I think, and and would allow us some kind of interesting visual play later on. Um, yeah, and Tony, I agree. The same thing should happen with Sauron when we see Sauron post Ring of Power, right? So when we're seeing Sauron in the late Second Age, when we're seeing Sauron uh in the Third Age, um to show his, ha- have that same kind of uh dehumanization element uh of his um of his face and even 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 to the light. Does not have to be identical? Because with Sauron, it's not about light specifically the way it is with Morgoth. Um, but um yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Nick, I was thinking about that too, whether the, uh, the, the, like which Silmaril gets stolen, uh, eventually by Baron is going to be the one in the middle or the one on the sides. We don't have to decide that right now. Um, personally, I think it should be one on the sides because, uh, you know, Baron is meaning to steal them all. And so he wouldn't necessarily start at the middle. He'd start on the end and go through probably, but also I like the fact that his crown is lopsided, like actively asymmetrical afterwards. Um, Th- that seems to me to capture more the the sort of frustrating incompleteness of his crown. It, it would mar his crown more if his crown were uh, were asymmetrical thereafter. Um, but anyway, I, I was going to say the other thing about the 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 luminous shining eyes that I really like uh, concept with Morgoth is that um, it again it, it's it's it it suggests this element of like I am. Radiating forth my spirit, right? I am putting forth my spirit into the things around me. So this idea of like the you know the my life energy is just sort of like emerging straight out of my face uh, in this kind of uncontrolled and and uh, uh, you know not really sort of relatable human way, uh, is again, to me, that kind of is, is, is suggestive and interesting. So actually I, I, I really like that image, Bria. I think that's, I think, I think that's pretty cool. Um, he should definitely be armored at all times. You know, he is, he is ready for war. He is ready for battle constantly. Um, so, so definitely he should be, that should be his constant look. Um, uh, as he is, uh, the tyrant here, um, Gothmog and the orcs, I don't have a strong opinion about the orcs, I mean, uh, one thing that is, I guess that two things that I would say about orc, the orc looks, um, I, I keep coming back to, so there are two things that I'm thinking of. One is we have to remember sort of where the orcs are coming from, right? Um, you know, and we have, you know, taken a stand on this, right? You know, we have shown the, I don't know what, devolution, corruption of, uh, of elves into orcs here. Um, it's still fairly recent, right? We're looking at, like, presumably many hundreds of orc generations uh upstream from the orcs that we get in the lord of the rings and so do we want to show the old orcs the 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 original orcs as sort of closer to elves in some in some ways um uh yeah yeah um so so yeah i would say um but I don't know exactly how we want to represent that. The general temptation, I mean, you know, Peter Jackson did this quite well. Uh, I mean, I generally like the look of his orcs as far as their armor and stuff like that is concerned. Um, the fact that they look uh, tough and relatively, you know, tough but crude, essentially, um, they would be, they would make good stuff. It's its not like their armor and weapons would be bad armor and weapons, um, but... I mean, that is, they, they would be effective as armor and as weapons. Um, they just wouldn't care that much about the aesthetics. Um, I wonder if that's different, right? Would they still, would, would the older orcs, older orcs closer to their, their Elvish origins, would they have more um, uh, of a... Uh, uh, would they have more of an aesthetic sense, which is just different, a different aesthetic sense from the other elves, or would they already have, you know, would we already want to show them uh, as being, um, uh, again, okay, you know, is is that the thing that they've lost essentially, like is you know their 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 any kind of appreciation for the for the beauty of their of their craft? Um, Yeah, Phil, that's the other thing that I was thinking of. The other thing that I was thinking of was the description of the goblins uh, in The Hobbit and and specifically that they are good at making armor, weapons, instruments of torture, uh, uh, bombs, guns, things like that, right? Um, So so yeah, I I, I wouldn't want to, I think that it's easy to go too far in, in, in showing orc gear to be crude right? Um, it can't be crude in the sense of, of looking potentially ineffective, right? Like an orc sword is way more likely to break than a regular sword. If, if we're doing that, I think we're not being true to what to, to what they are and to what they're about. Um, Mariel, I like the idea of old orcs being taller. Um, yes, I mean, we know that orcs are generally pretty short. Uh, the orc high are almost man high, which is a big deal, right? Which is a major distinction. They are uh, orcs are generally significantly shorter than humans uh, in the Lord of the Rings. That's pretty clear. Um, your sort of standard Uruk is uh, is 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 small, bigger than hobbits. And also remember, there's Treebeard's comments, right? Mistaking you for little orcs. Um, one of the reasons that he mistakes that hobbits for orcs is their size, right? They're smaller than orcs. That's why he calls them. He calls them little orcs, right? But, uh, but clearly to Treebeard they're in the same kind of size category. They're smaller than humans. Um, so I do think that that's clear and Phil, how do they compare with dwarves? Uh, I think a, a comparable, maybe a little taller than dwarves, but not that much difference. Uh, I mean, I, I've always gotten the impression from both The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings that, that orcs and dwarves are are, are more or less uh, looking eye to eye. Um, they are proportioned a little differently. Hakan, they are described as having long, uh, long, like, proportionally longer arms. Um, but anyway, I do think it would be fitting for us to, to have the orcs be taller, have them be at least man-high, Uh, In the first stage. Uh, And I think that this is fitting in a couple ways. Uh, It's fitting because we do see a general trend towards decreasing height, right? As uh, we know that as like, so Tolkien is pretty big on a correlation between physical stature and spiritual stature, right? I mean, those who are greatest and best tend to be tallest. I mean, there's, there's a, it's not a, it's, there's no causality there, but there is a correlation, right? It's no coincidence that Aomir is the tallest of all of his riders, right? It's no coincidence that as Merry and Pippin uh, grow up, right? And as they, as they mature and, and their experience widens and they become among the great ones, they physically are taller, right? Um, when they, when they come back. Um, so. Um, uh, so anyway, we, we, um, we should have, we definitely want to describe the orcs as decreasing over time. So like the orcs, the Misty Mountain orcs in, uh, uh, in the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, you know, by the time we get to the third age, even the orcs of Mordor, by the time we get to the third age should be much lesser in stature than the orcs of the first age, you know, so the orcs who sack Gondolin should definitely be. Um, you know the, the orcs of the Hobbit might remember stories of the of of the wars with Gondolin, but those goblins really should be a, a fairly pale shadow uh, of the orcs uh, that were there actually in Gondolin, right? So that kind of diminishing, as I say, that that that, that fits with uh, with Tolkien's world very well, and I think we should definitely do that. Um, you're right. Nick, that they will still appear short in comparison to the super tall elves. So, yes, the Noldor will still be much taller than they, even the Sindar. Um, I, the, the major place, Nick, that where we're going to want to show the difference is that they're going to be taller, significantly taller than dwarves. Um, and then when we see them fighting men, I think that, uh, that, hu- that humans and, and orcs should be pretty much looking eye to eye, um, which will make them shorter orcs shorter than elves but uh uh, but they should tower over the dwarves still at this point um yeah yeah um yeah good um yeah (laughs) boomful says how can you tell he's a king he's the tallest one you know like that works on a surprising number of occasions actually uh in uh in Tolkien's world um So, uh, so yeah. Anyway, that's definitely as far as their 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 sort of physical aspect. That's you know one of the main things I think uh, is going to be important. Gothmog, of course, should be physically larger. Gothmog, I think, should tower over the elves. Like he should be significantly taller because he's he's not a regular orc, right? He is uh, he is an embodied uh, Maya. And so, therefore, the embodiment that he takes, he should look like orc proportionally, um, but he should be significantly larger. So I'm thinking Gothmog or not Goth. Uh, yeah, Gothmog. Sorry. Uh, no, Bulldog. oh goodness. Sorry, my brain. I'm really exhausted at the end of this month. So my brain is not likely is not in its best place today. Bulldog is the one I'm talking about. Bulldog, uh, the prototypical orc. Uh, is the one that I think should be should be like an orc, but he should be huge, eight feet. Uh, Marielle is just what I'm thinking. Like he he should he he should look something like eight feet tall. Um. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. The uh. Um. The. As far as Gothmog is concerned. You know, we talked about this with the Balrogs. Of course, our, our backstory of the Balrogs, I still love our backstory with the Balrogs, you know, how they used to be these winged angelic figures. Um, and, uh, and, you know, now they have become creatures of shadow and flame. Uh, we talked about this before. I, th- I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure in season one, we talked about the visuals of the fallen Balrogs and what we wanted them to look like. Uh, and I, I remember discussing whether or not we wanted to have them look scarred. Right, um, uh, or whether we just want to make them look uh, sort of fiery. Um, but Hakan I do think that they should look less less human. Um, uh, the Balrog, when they meet the Balrog in Moria, it's like man high and vaguely man shaped. But it, you know, it's not like it's going to be mistaken. Like the a Balrog shouldn't be able to blend in in a crowd. Right. Um. Even apart from like its presence and the fear that it inspires and things, um, it's got to look. Um. It, they need. They, they need to look demonic. Essentially. Right. I mean, that's that's basically what they are. Um. So. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But wait. I moved away from the aesthetic question that is the question of orc aesthetics um what do you guys think about this do you think that we should have the orcs should their stuff be crude design wise should they have uh you know should they be more unpolished do we want to show them um See, I'm inclined my, – My, I think my own inclination would be to have that be a corruption over time, um, to have them have – be exercising, you know, uh, aesthetic creativity in their armor and their weapons, but just have that turned towards particular cruelty, right? Trish, what do you think about this?
1: Yeah, I, I would like to see it devolve. I think during the First Age – the fir- I think the orcs of the First Age should be like the most – evolved of the orcs
2: if
0: you know what I yeah, mean like yeah. aesthetically, yeah
1: right and then as time goes by you know by the time we see them with Frodo and Mary and Frodo and, Mary, Frodo and Sam and you know Mordor, I mean there you may see vestiges of it but it's just really become corrupted and devolved and you know it's just not the creativity is just not there anymore so that's what I'm thinking because you think about you know Melkor is investing these guys when he still has power and, you know, remember how uh, uh, opulent, you know, his living quarters were back when, you know, yes. he still yes. was human. I mean, that feel should still be there, I think, in the orcs. Um, and then the, it, it just evolves over time. And we should be able to see that through the Second Age and into the Third Age.
0: Right, right,
2: right. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 important. Um. Oh, and here, Trish, I'm finding the... Uh, hang on. There we go. Okay, sorry. I'm just changing my mic setting so they can actually hear you on Twitch. Sorry about that, Twitch folks. Oh, um, uh, yes.
1: okay. Yeah, now you can know. hear me on Twitch. Yeah. Ha-ha. Be careful it's, what you ask good, for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: Um, but no, I I do agree with you. I mean, I, I think that... Because we do need to remember that, yes, although Morgoth has turned himself towards... You know, he's now being consumed by his wrath and his hatred and the orcs that he has twisted are a reflection of that wrath and hatred. That's more of a, a function, right? Rather than a, like it's, it's not to say that he, he's still pretentious, right? Morgoth is. Right. You know, he's still, still going to want his
1: the, soldiers to make him look good. Right. I mean, at right,
2: least the, the the, yeah, exactly. The reason that he, um, the things that drove him to make autumno Awesome. Exactly. Right. Splendid. Exactly. Uh, exactly. That kind of, you know, arrogance, and pretension. He's still got that. Um, and so now you know, I'm not saying that he's going to be doing like troop reviews and like, you know, <laughs> spit polishing people's, you know, their orcs armor and stuff. He's going to care that they're effective. He's not going to care. It's, it's not like they're on parade. However, yeah. Again, to say that they totally lose that impulse like completely and immediately, I think is is to is to sort of lose the opportunity to show, as you say, show them kind of de-evolving over time. And that de-evolving over time, that's another major Tolkien feature, right? To show right, right. the decline of stuff uh, from the, the first thing. The other thing will be that Sauron
1: won't have that same thing. You know, he's going to be more. He's going to be more. His his aesthetic is going to be around rings and things like. You know what I mean? It's like. He could care less. He, By the time he gets to power, he'll probably care less what the orcs look like. So then we're in the loincloth phase, <laughs> you know, at that point. <laughs> right. right? They're just yeah. fodder for it's, him at that point. Yeah, the focus you is know, definitely yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So I think yeah.
1: we show we can show that. So, yeah, I mean, I think these, you know, I think we're on the right track here with this, with these kind of costume designs for these guys.
2: Yeah 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 so i mean I, I like again yeah so n- not ornate in the sense of just decorative right but it should be it should not look th- the way that you know all again all the orc stuff in um uh in the peter jackson movies right are all Nothing's polished, right? Everything is is an often crude cut and yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it does it does look strong. I mean, I I do like that, and I'm not saying that I disagree with Peter Jackson. I I I I would be fine with orc armor and weapons looking like orc armor and weapons in Peter Jackson. By the time we get to the third age, right? Um, what I would want to introduce is just that that sort of distinction now. Um, Yeah. And I do
1: agree so, with Tony. Um, it yeah. should be pragmatic. I mean, it's not going to be ermine furs and jewels and things like that. You know, you're not going to have finely wrought sword hills and things right. like that. But you're certainly right. still going to have functional yeah. and aesthetically polished looking. That's basically right.
2: it. Right. And, yeah, polished looking, exactly. And um, and more, I don't know, sort of creative cruelty, you know, like...
1: Um, uh, yeah, that's a good way of putting swords
2: it. And, swords and daggers with, like, uh, uh, intricate barbs and, and uh, uh, you know, just, like, find, find some of the most uh, creatively horrible weapons that people have ever come up with like you know that especially designed to do to do the most hideous sorts of things you know this is not just a uh you know a simple blade that we're using to stab people right but the kinds of uh the kinds of 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 you know barbs and jagged edges and everything else that people have come up with to uh to 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 be most merciless and horrible that's the kind of stuff that i think that uh, that they would be applying their still more fertile creative minds to uh here in the first age because uh, remember the way in, it's important to remember not only that they were corrupted elves but to remember the corruption story that we've given them right sauron is in charge of them while Morgoth, we, you know, we we in, in our story, Sauron is in charge of them while Morgoth is is in prison, right? And then over uh, working on the Noldor in Valinor, and and as we recall, what Sauron was doing is he is working to make worshippers out of them, right? Uh, sort of to take them to to sort of let the uh, wasn't that the way that we talked about this right? He's trying to make them into into Drow, right? Into evil elves, in, into into dark elves and then Morgoth comes and overrides it and, and, and makes them into orcs instead. So in other words, the first stage of the corruption process as we have depicted the corruption process is not a stripping away of everything that made them, you know, creative and strong and powerful and magical, um, but rather trying to turn that. And Sauron would have been trying to preserve that, right. To, to keep them. As creative and magical and powerful as possible, um, and then you know Sauron comes and he kind of whitewashes it a little bit, right? You know he 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 makes their primary characteristics be their you know be their wrath and their desire to inflict uh, pain and you know their, them being sort of forged as weapons, um, but but again they wouldn't they wouldn't just have all that other stuff stripped away, so. So yeah, if we can, if we can show that, I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. Uh, Mario really likes how um, um, the bulldog in this picture looks sort of vaguely Roman. Um, uh, I kind of like that too, actually. Yeah. Marielle says severe, uh, severe striking, not lovely, but yet not actively unlovely. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, good. Okay. Um let's uh let's keep going. So Thuring Gwethil. Sauron's captains, those are the those are the these are these are really tricky. So Thoring Gwethil is a vampire and we need to get uh, on the one hand, we were not wanting to make Thoring Gwethil a, a, we were resisting having a sexual dynamic between Thorin and Sauron, right? We didn't want to have Thorin be anybody's girlfriend, right? Um, she is his, his closest partner. I mean, he is, she is his like second in command essentially, uh, you know, uh, according to the way that we have contrived their sort of partnership. Um, I think so therefore I would want to be a little bit cautious um, about how we do her costuming. I guess so essentially the the thing that I'm the thing that I'm trying to decide here is how sexy should Thurenguetho look or like how slinky should should Thurenguetho look. Um, I think that she is going she should look she should look sort of ninja like. But not in ways that are like actively sexualizing her person, right? She should not look like someone who is ready at any minute to seduce someone, right? Um, but I do really like the 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 kind of. So, but then again, it's not like she's going to be wearing uh, uh, lots of extremely uh, uh, sort of chaste garments either. That are going to, you know, she's not going to be wearing uh, you know Victorian dresses either um so uh yeah yeah um what do you think trish
1: well i'm sitting here thinking. you know bats i am right right bat i'm on the right track yeah, here <laughs> Yeah. Bats. they yes, are mammals exactly. i mean they have fur right they have fur they're right. not it's not like because at first i was thinking sl- sleek i mean i could I, i'm thinking like leather be, basically kind of yeah she should be ready for action at any moment in other words she should mm-hmm. be like on, you know, on call for when Sauron lifts his pinky, she's in bat form and gone kind of thing. You know, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Right. So her outfit, like, yeah, would be leather. I was thinking, you know, it should, it, the form fitting part should be for sleek, you know, for like sleekness, for like airstream, yes. you know, like yes. not for sex. Um, exactly. I'm not
2: sure how you make that distinction but like <laughs> no cleavage would be one right i mean she doesn't have to be wearing, wearing something low cut um and maybe right. the kind of combination of her to be wearing i, I think it, like ninjas i you know aren't sexy <laughs> right you no. know no, that's right that's, like, that's right ninja outfit is like a good kind of uh the kind of thing that i'm talking about right cuz as you say exactly she's going to be efficient for motion right so she that she would be wearing right. something form fitting even something like a leather bodysuit sometimes would seem fitting and i was thinking like a leather bodysuit
1: maybe with some fur trim or you know some there because bats are furry they're basically flying foxes kind yeah. of right yeah. so yeah, some, there's some fur but not lots of it obviously but maybe cuz like yeah. tony says you know as much as possible the form of the bat should be reflected in her outfit you know or at least the yeah. materials you know, would yeah. be you know. So yeah, yeah. I, I think that's right. So something more like a ninja outfit I think is true was right, you know, of leather, say, with maybe some fur trim of some kind would be good. yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I keep exactly. thinking of the I keep thinking of the of the werewolves in Dresden Files. <laughs>
2: They have to like drop their clothes to turn into wolves. <laughs> right, right, yeah, no, it's not like that. Well, so not there are a like couple that. things. So first of all, I, 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 not like that, not like that. I do like, um, so this this kind of design over here, I really kind of like, right? It's uh, the the one on the far right yeah. of this picture. Yeah. It's um, it's it's, it's form fitting. It's efficient, but you know, it's it's not designed to be, uh, you know. Mario, as you say, it's not designed to be a sexy cat suit either. Um, right. Um, um, you know, actually, Zach, that's not a bad, uh, it's not a bad parallel. Zachary Komen is thinking of the way that uh, the way that the character of Electra in the Netflix Daredevil series dresses. Oh, yeah, that's a good yeah I mean, you know, she's kind of, uh, she's kind of, oh, mean, I mean, uh, She's a little aggressively sexualized, of course, herself uh, at times. But yeah, I mean, as, like her her battle outfit is uh, is is not is definitely not more like than Catwoman. Um,
1: we don't want the Catwoman thing.
2: Exactly the thing that we the thing that I don't want for Gwethel is like Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman from the old Batman exactly. movie. Like, that's exactly, exactly what I don't want exactly. for Thuringwethel. Um, right. Though th- th- I think the most important thing for Thuringwethel is her cloak. Right, because that's of course the thing that that we're going to have. Uh, we have <laughs> to think about with both Drowgluin and with Thor Gwethel, We have to think about Baron and Luthien, right? Um, because right. we're not going to want to actually skin anyone, <laughs> right? I mean, like I'm going to skin Drowgluin and wear his skin is is like I don't know that we want to go there uh, on screen. So having, I really like the bat cloak up here on the top left with Thuring-Wethel. Right.
0: Um, the only thing I'm not sure be... about is the
1: Dracula-like collar, you know, the Dracula-like collar right. might need okay. a little bit of a, of, a, of a change, But, but I do like the rest of it. I like the way that it scallops around the bottom like that.
2: I, yeah, I actually—that's my favorite element too, and then the kind of ribbing, right, to suggest the bat wings yeah. is, is, is yeah, cool. The wings, um, yeah, the cowl though—I don't know. Actually, I kind of like the cowl. But I, yeah, she's a vampire, okay. right? And 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 of course, well, throughout, it's going to be bat primarily, right? It's it, it's it's you know we're going to be emphasizing her bat nature. She's not going to be like you know uh, uh, she she's not going to be like an Anne Rice vampire or something like that. However, um, we um we do. I'm not sure that it wouldn't be horrible to have at least a little bit of a, of an echo of, of, you know, you know, to, to have a, if we, if we invite people just a tiny little bit, you know, to think of Bella Lugosi when they're looking at the Reguente <laughs> right. I'm not sure that's a horrible thing actually. Uh, <laughs> but, but, okay. but anyway, uh, it's, it's not. It's not the main thing, but uh, well, at least it won't um, be redlined.
1: It won't be a redline quote. Wasn't his redlined? So we won't do that.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. No, definitely the black and red. I think we should avoid for exactly yes, for exactly yes. that that uh, uh, that that reason. So she'll be, um, be very
1: lithe. I mean, are we gonna have her? You know how bats can literally like scale walls. I mean, I know about the hanging upside down thing. Of course, we I'm, we wouldn't go quite that way. It's kind of cliche, but she's gonna be very lithe and able to sort of yes, you know, scale things and. Over yeah, and... I
2: think she should be, she should be kind of, and I'm forgetting, somebody needs to remind me of whom we cast as and Grethel, because I forgot about that. Um, but, because I mean, ideally, I, somebody who is small, right? Um, Carrie Mulligan. Okay. Okay. I'm forgetting who that's that right, is, right. but that's part. okay. I had um,
1: a face in my head. I couldn't, re- I couldn't remember her name. Carrie Mulligan. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. Sally Sparrow thank you thank you Mario yes okay yeah no that's fine that's fine yeah Sally Sparrow will be a good throwing Gwethel. um uh, uh, yeah yeah no that's great that's great um and by the way this like uh, the you know the, the the image for this like the dress and train we do want several different outfits for her right and I think that there can be times especially when she shows up because there will be times when she's gonna be appearing before Morgoth right and so having a kind of a more formal, sort of look for her, you know, when she is, you know, appearing before Morgoth, I think is something we should do. And if, if we do have her in more formal dress, I really do. I, I, I think that that idea for her train is really cool. Again, mm-hmm. evoking the bat in everything that, that we do with her. But as I was saying before, the cloak is super important because what I'm sort of thinking is, okay, so we run a risk here, right? If we have her have this, very bat wingish cloak right uh which she wears and she turns herself into a bat and then luthien takes her cloak and luthien can turn into a bat when they're flying you know when they're when they're going to angband we we're taking the serious risk that people just think this is a magic turn you into a bat and not something that's sort of intrinsic to thuring um, but i think we have to run that risk because what happens? I mean, what Baron and Luthien do, it's really kind of complicated, right? I mean, it's going to be hard to explain without lots of exposition exactly how Baron and Luthien contrive to, uh, turn themselves into the form of a wolf and a bat when they go, uh, to Angband. Unfortunately, we don't have to think about this too much quite yet. Um, but, um, Ooh, Mariel, that's a really interesting idea. What if we see Theringwethil making the cloak, sort of imbuing it with her power, like Sauron does the ring? That's just what I—that's just what I'm thinking.
1: I was thinking that, um, and I was also thinking that it should figure largely into when Theringwethil activates herself. I mean, she doesn't actually right, physically turn right. into a bat. Does she turn into a bat herself? I can't remember. Sure, but anyway, she can physically
0: turn into. That. Yeah. Yeah. So know?
1: I mean, the bat, the the cloak itself could figure into having that transformation happen. With Theron Gethel. Right. You know, so we already know right. that the cloak does that or is part
0: of that. Right,
2: exactly. I mean, the thing that I would kind of want to convey somehow, and you know, Marielle's suggestion is a good one, um, um uh, is uh is to um to have her to again we we want to show that this is her own power, like this cloak has been invested with her own power. This is not like somebody else made a magic bat. Cloak and gave it to her, and so like she only has her power because she has the magic bat cloak. Um, you know, I, I, but but again, honestly, I'm more willing to risk that than I am. Uh, I mean, there there are other misconceptions that people can get from the whole Luthien transforming herself into a bat, um, moment. Uh, that I think would be worse than that, frankly. Um. But yeah, her her singing while she makes uh her bat cloak uh like if we can have a scene like that, cool. If not, it's fine. We'll figure it out. But um but anyway, her having a a bat cloak and everything is good. So I'm I'm, I'm cool. I think we've got a good we've got a a clear sense of Thorin Gwethil's. Wardrobe here generally, um, and what we want to do with that. Again, that cloak is important because we, we've got to think forward. The, both of these things with Draugluin and with Thoronghwaethel—it's it, it's an active, um, uh, you know, prop later on, right? We've got to to be anticipating Baron and Luthien, or we're going to paint ourselves into a corner there if we don't. Um, on the same subject, therefore, let's think about Draugluin. Now, Draugluin With Droglun, we've got a couple different things, right? So the form that he's in. So he's a werewolf, and, and, and we have... Uh, we have been talking all the way through that you know that he is in wolf form we've talked about this a little bit I by the way uh, I'm glad to see that I'm not the only one who vaguely remembers the Gmork uh, in the neverending story uh, when they picture drug <laughs> that, that little still right there of the Gmork from the never-ending story is uh, is is uh, yeah, that's that. I think that has like secretly been my my mental image of Gluen ever since I was a kid, actually. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, the, but, okay. How do we work again, Baron and Luthien? Right. Um, Baron puts on the wolf hame of Gluen. I'm pretty sure what Tolkien means by that is that they actually skin drowgluon and make a cloak out of his skin and baron wears it um i don't think it necessarily means that he like puts it on like a costume uh that i think is probably too literal but i think i think that you know do we want to show that do we want to show he like drowgluon is just a wolf do we want baron actually to skin drowgluon and make a cloak out of his fur um, and that's what he wears. And, and then, you know, with that combined with Luthian's magic, he is able to take the form of a wolf. Um, I, you know, I, we could do that. I'm not saying that that's impossible. Um, we do also need to decide. We're going to show Thuring-Gwethel changing forms. She's gonna have a humanoid form and she's gonna have a bat form that I think with Gwethel is practically is, uh, inescapable, right We can't have Thoringweethhel be a talking bat the whole time that's I mean, just not gonna work right nobody's gonna take seriously a talking bat or rather um the most that we could hope for from the character of a talking bat would be somebody who has approximately the stature of Iago the parrot in Aladdin right I mean it, it's like it's good she's gonna look like a uh, you know, his familiar, right? Sauron's familiar if we make her a talking bat. So she, we we want, and I think very rightly for her to take a human form and to be uh, transforming herself back and forth between human and bat. Um, so the big question that I think we need to firmly decide, can Draugluon and Tavildo do that ever? Do they ever transform into human shape? Do we want to show that happening? With Draugluon, I think we're stuck I don't know that we can do that because the whole way that we've sort of defined um werewolves right um is that these are these are creations of Sauron's right he has taken animal forms and he has invested them with evil spirits right so we have this uh this this tormented creation right of uh of these these spirits of um uh, these spirits of 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 my Maya, of right which are being forcibly entrapped in the bodies of wolves. Yeah
1: I mean Mariel kind of makes a point. I mean Dragloon you could almost consider to be sort of the opposite of Huan, who'd never change his form. Oh, Huan. Right? Yeah. Right.
3: right.
1: So you know um, and I'm I'm fine with him skinning Dragloon. I mean it's kinda of icky to think him putting it on afterwards but um I, you know, we don't have to be showing the whole skinning on
2: screen. Right. You know? A uh, montage of like the tanning and curing process of sure the fur and the pelt. You know, <laughs> three months later, theater, they're right? ready to set
0: off for,
2: <laughs> for exactly. Angband. Exactly right. Are we ready to set out for hangband yet? No, 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 the pelt is still drying. we we're, no. you know, we've got it's not know. ready
0: yet.
2: <laughs> um. <laughs> Now you know that said, I'm joking, but at the same time, the the visual image of uh, Draugluin's pelt stretched between two trees is—I'm—I'm not sure that's kind of awesome, actually. You know, that's kind of dramatic, Uh, (laughs) isn't it? It 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 kind of is. It's like he could at Um, least—he
1: said, at least give it a day for the blood to dry, okay? (laughs) Before (laughs) I have to put it on. I know, right? I mean, (laughs) yeah,
2: it's kind of icky. yeah, yeah. Um
1: And thanks Tony Mead for reminding me of the Ton solo throwing Luke, Luke into the belly of the Ton. In, into the into the I corpse of the Ton. yeah. I not remembering that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly, yeah. Um it reminds me of one of my favorite pieces of Star Wars merchandise ever, uh, which is uh, which is a kid's sleeping bag in the shape of a Ton that you crawl into its stomach. Uh oh my I like like whoever invented that is <laughs> absolute genius <laughs> absolute genius uh <laughs> but anyway um uh so yeah no I, I agree okay so people in general are fine with um with uh skinning drowglowin so okay cool that's good it's good and and also don't forget you know they um they do have some time i mean <clears throat> we have we have interludes of time when the two of them are hanging out they don't immediately like, like they Set out angban on the day that they, um, that they, you know, like the, we're gonna have the encounter with Kelly Gorman Kurafin, that we're gonna have to heal after getting shot by arrows and things like that. So, you know, we've got some time to, to, oh, to so plenty to, of time, to to time for the skin to kind of cure of a little bit, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, yeah, so, um, anyway, uh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's fine. That's fine. Um, and of course I'm thinking of that, you know, in, in the, that, that image, of course, I mean, you guys, many of you are probably thinking of this too, when I was describing the pelt of drow glue and, you know, stretch between two trees. I'm thinking of that scene in the Hobbit with Bjorn, right? When Bjorn comes in and shows oh, them yeah. the, the skin of the warg and the head of the goblin that he interviewed, right? To get his information about what happened. Um, Um, so a little kind of anticipation, or again, when we see that with Bjorn, right, it will recall Baron, uh, and, uh, and, and Droglun. Um, okay, right, all right, fine, I'm fine with that. So we have, so again, so, so Droglun, I think he can't change shape, because again, he's a body of a wolf, right? He's not just an embodied Maya, like Thorin Gwethel. Thorin Gwethel is just a Maya, this is her embodiment, right? And, and, and what she does is change into a bat, um. Tivildo is, or not Tivildo, sorry, Drogluin is not in the same position, right? He is, he's got the body of a wolf, a warped, twisted, enhanced wolf, right? Um, He should not look like a normal wolf. He should be significantly larger, the second biggest wolf in the world. um, Possibly third biggest, I guess, counting wolf Sauron, but whatever, that's a issue for another season. Functionally, the second biggest wolf uh, in the world, second to Karkaroth. And, um, he should. Uh, um, I, I like the idea of him having sort of scars and and uh, and you know to sort of to show his tormented creation. Yeah, he should have uh, um, uh, definitely look unnatural. Um, and uh, and Zach, I don't. I think we have them basically function physically functioning as wolves. Um, you, know, like, you know, he doesn't walk upright or something like that. He definitely walks on four legs. Um, he's uh, uh, he's he's like a wolf, just uh, bigger, meaner, nastier, scarred. Uh, um, that's all fine. But he but he can but he can speak. I mean, he would he would uh, uh, he would be speaking normally. And actually, you know, Draugluin being. Uh, sort of a verbal part of the uh, deliberations of Sauron and company is a kind of a neat setup for Huon. So when Huon speaks, it's not going to look strange because we're used to draw glue speaking. Um, and it will make him a more sort of obvious, uh, um, uh, a more obvious, the sort of the more obvious opposite number of, uh, of, of, of who when that happens. Um, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, Marielle, I, I think you're right, Marielle. I think that we don't we should probably avoid using the word werewolf at any point in the script. They shouldn't call them werewolves. Um, I know I mean I know Tolkien does in his text. I would kind of like to avoid that word just to help to avoid confusion, right? Um exactly, Zach. I think that if we say werewolves, people are going to, I mean, I think fundamental to the modern concept of the werewolf is the is the transformation, right? They're going to expect them either to have been humans that like if we say this is a werewolf, I'd bet that a lot of our audience is going to be assuming that that means they were once you know humans or elves who have been you know twisted and can and and turned into wolves or something. I mean, I think we're going to be actually conveying false information essentially. Um, and yes, Marielle says, if we call them werewolves, barons losing a hand is going to set up a different set of expectations. Yeah, exactly. We do want to, we do want to make it clear they're not infecting anybody, right? There's no lycanthropy involved here, right? That's just not what we're doing. And so therefore I think this, the, the, the easiest thing for us to do is just avoid that word entirely. Um, uh, you know, even if we just do nothing other than you um, uh uh yeah we can't call them dire wolves brianna exactly we can, uh, Ger- uh george r. r martin has has kind of uh set his seal upon that word um my Marielle, that's exactly what i was about to suggest fell wolves is what i would suggest just to use a, 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 one of tolkien's favorite adjectives right um uh to call them fell wolves uh yeah that's just that's just kind of what i'm thinking of yep yep um uh okay, cool. um so Tavildo with Tavildo, um with Tavildo, we're not quite as locked into the pure beast form, right? uh Tavildo is presumably a spirit who has manifested himself as a cat, or are we imagining that Tavildo is like direct like you know that Sauron imprisoned the these these spirits in the bodies of some of them in the bodies of wolves and some of them in the bodies of cats um you know since tevildo is ultimately a um rejected concept right in 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 tolkien we kind of have a little bit of freedom we we don't ever really see uh how um you know, where kind of Tolkien is, is, you know, would have gone with it. Right. Um, So, so yes, Mario, I agree. We could, that's that's an interesting way to say it. Mario says uh, a spirit that has chosen to manifest as a cat is unlikely to deign to change into a merely humanoid form. Right. Are you suggesting that the cat form suggests, uh, yeah, that like uh, that anything that would choose a cat as its form would, would choose, would see uh, humanity as lesser. Yeah, that seems to me to kind of capture the feline attitude. Um, I, I, I can I can see that. So so basically, our conception of Tavildo is that Tavildo theoretically could take human form if he wanted to. He just doesn't, right? Um, we will never see him do that. Um, so uh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, uh, I can live with that. Keep in mind, by the way, we've talked I when mean, we talked about Dragoon as the sort of opposite number of Huan and in a sense, he is. In that, Huon is a wolfhound, right? And Dragoon is the is the the sort of father, or at least the godfather of the wolves. Um, but of course, on a more literal level, Tavildo is actually his opposite number, right? When uh, the original conception of Huon. Um, was Huon versus Tavildo, right? Tavildo was his archenemy, and this was a dog versus cat thing. This is not a hound versus wolf thing. It was a dog versus cat thing. Um, you know, uh, Tolkien I'm obviously he, being a dog. I'm glad versus, he
1: didn't do that. I'm glad he. I'm glad he rege- He finally left that idea behind. It's a little bit too cliche. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um,
1: was obviously a dog person. Obviously, a dog <laughs> I know you're person. a dog person, and I know you're a dog person.
2: <laughs> I am, I am, though that's really kind of by constraint. Uh, I, I can't pretend that I give cats a fair shake because half <laughs> my family is deathly allergic to cats. So, I you know, we run whenever we see cats. So, I, I you know, I, I've, I've not interacted significantly with a cat in you know 25 years. So, um, uh yeah. Anyway, um, so, so, like, I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm totally not pretending to be objective on the dog and cat thing. Um, so Nick says we had decided on Tivildo being a project of Morgoth's, which Sauron imitates to make werewolves. Huh. Okay. I don't, I don't have the faintest memory of that, but I believe you. Um, yeah. I guess
1: Tony's idea. Just saying The difference between them is that Tavildo yes. chooses to become a cat, while Dragluin is forced into the body of a wolf as punishment. I like that.
2: Yeah, exactly. That Tavildo is a cat and smug about it, whereas Dragluin right. is is uh, is is a slave essentially. Right. Um, uh, who might therefore be, you know, so. The dynamics that that introduces, I think, are kind of interesting, right? Like you know Tavilda or the you think about the relation between Sauron and Tavildo and Drugluwin, right? On the one hand, Drauggluwin is Sauron's slave. and yet there's going to be some resentment there, right. so the the kind of tension with Drauggluwin is that, you know he's resentful and might be disobedient, right or or in tra- or intransigent, but he's a slave at the end of the day. Tavildo, is not a slave. Tavilda would see himself as an ally, um, but therefore also has his own ideas and is not always guided by Sauron and doesn't always listen to him, right? Because he sees him—he in his own mind, like every other cat in the world—he would see himself as a free agent, right? Uh, uh, you know, doing uh, doing his own thing. Um, so, yeah. Oh, eh, Marielle says that. Uh, Tivildo should definitely torment Draugluin whenever he can. Uh, yeah, well, Tavildo is—you uh, know—we had—we um, um, had—we had talked about it uh, having Tavildo be the torturer, right? I mean, he's who should enjoy inflicting suffering on others. I mean, here again, I'm not trying to be just anti-cat, but sort of taking. Tevildo needs to be like a distillation and and uh, and sort of exaggeration of all of the worst elements of cat personality. Right. Um, You know, like that element of like cats playing with their prey right before they kill them like that. Tevildo has that, you know, exponentially expanded. Um, Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. Okay. um, so all right, so having Tabildo Tevildo should certainly be um, let's see what do you think? Uh, so we've got so we've got this 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 picture of Tavildo here. I do kind of like there being sort of lionish elements, lion like uh, leonine, let me say, elements uh, to Tavildo. Um, having him and and I think that he shouldn't be identifiably any particular modern cat species um i like the idea of him definitely having black panther elements but we don't want him just to be associated with black panthers right especially in the wake of the black panther movie i would add uh but um but again it's really i think um uh yeah yeah um Oh, interesting. Tony says, what if he's a saber-toothed cat? See, again, I, I wouldn't want to go too distinctive, like not the actual saber tooth look, because then um, we would have people think, again, we, we'd, we'd be calling up more particular associations. How about um, something more toward the leopard
1: side of things? Like even a snow leopard kind of look, where it's more black and white than
2: brown. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, I kind of like this. So, this this picture that we have up here on the right, I really kind of like with the not a full lion's mane, but a kind of like yeah. suggestion of a lion's yeah, actually, mane. That's a good I, yeah. I, really, yeah. I really kind of like that. Um, yeah. Uh, Zach, I've always kind of pictured Tevildo as more sort of sleek and aloof, too. I don't think exactly the body type of a, lions are heavier looking, right? Um, uh, something more more leopard like <clears throat> or mountain lion like, um, I think would be good too. But again, something of the he should have something of the the sort of I don't know, regalness of uh, of one of the of one of the bigger great cats, like a tiger like a, like or a tiger. tiger or I was gonna
1: say a tiger. Tiger might yeah. not be yeah, a tiger would be yeah. good. the ba- the basic body tiger, shape of a tiger. Of
2: but yeah. but without the markings of a tiger. Um, yeah. 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 Something like a tiger, but, but, but maybe, maybe black or mostly black and markings. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that would be good. Cool. All right. And Hey, Hey, that's it. We're done. Look at that. We finished with the, we finished with the bad guys. Was that, cause there was nothing else we needed because we cause talked about Sauron and Morgoth in earlier seasons. So, um, right. Hey, awesome. Look at that. We finished a segment. Brianna, I absolutely agree. The one thing we're not gonna make Tvildo look like is like Cat Smaug from the animated Hobbit uh, film, um, which has always been an image that I have found deeply disturbing. Um, by the way, Brianna, I think I finally figured out why like one of the like mysteries of one of the big greatest mysteries of that's always been to me one of the greatest mysteries of that film. Like, why on earth did they do that? Like what on like, what could possibly, like, even the strange mind of, you know, the Rankin-Bass animators, what possessed them uh, to give Smaug feline features? Um, and uh, I finally, I think I figured it out. I don't know. At least I have a guess, right? Uh, there's the description in The Hobbit that describes uh the sound that, like where, where where Smaug is described as sounding like a, a giant tomcat purring, um, it's like Tolkien actually compares in this one way compares Smaug to a to a tomcat, um, uh, in the Hobbit itself. And I was like, I wonder maybe maybe that there's there is something there is some shred of something in the text. Which establishes the connection between Smaug and a cat. Of course, like why they would say, therefore, he should have whiskers. Like, I don't like that is not okay. But uh, at least, at least it's not like a completely arbitrary association sets and locations. and uh, we have the, you know, uh, uh, Marie's reminder that everything will be dark and starlit this season. So as we're looking at these pictures, imagine all these locations at night, right? Uh, so, uh, so that's that that's important. Um, and uh, yeah, many thanks to the folks who uh, have been helping with this uh, and uh, suggested stuff on the discussion boards, especially Hakan and Harangil and uh, Brie, Philivren, Nick, and Mythlouen, as always. So okay. Um, brie melvin's location art cool so we've got Hithlam Dorlomen, and on in and uh Keirith niniach uh cool cool lots of really fun places um lots of barren landscapes here i really like oh we've got vinyamar yeah cool cool some neat uh some neat uh neat spots here um these were all drawn three years ago, Bree. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, well, it, 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 it'd be neat to see um, uh, some uh, some pictures associated with uh, you know some of the particular spots that we're looking at. That would be really, really neat. Um, I like these. So, Bree, what's the the the, the stuff where you've done the, this dominant uh, sort of reddish uh, overlay? um what was your what was your thing those are the ones that are sort of most interesting and striking i, I, I mean the, the, the others are really good too uh but uh what were you uh what were you sort of thinking about there um hakan i was thinking the same thing that there are some nice resemblances here between some of her some of her pictures and some of the, the 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 photos that we found yeah these are really cool so these at the bottom i think are the, are the arid wethrin. it's cool that's cool. Coast of Nevrast, right? Losgar, up further in the north. Cool. Ah, um, uh, that was the canyon. Okay, so this over here, this is the canyon uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, right, that tour takes after going through the Noldor secret cave to the coast. Yeah, cool, cool, right. Yeah, that kind of a really sort of sheltered box canyon is really neat uh, for, that, uh, uh, for that kind of thing. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. Shots for the Firth of Drengist. I absolutely agree. We want fjords, uh, for the Firth of Drengist. That's, there's no question about that. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, this, this, this is perfect. Now the one thing we need to remember is we, we got to think about Kierden uh, coming in and, you know, the one, um, the one disadvantage of fjords, right, is that uh, we need to be careful of where they're able to land and where they're able to go after. I guess they're not going to really see people um, from their ships, right? They're never going to see the Noldor from their ships. They're going to be in. They're going to have gone inland uh, when they see the Noldor from a distance. Uh, that we're not having them interact yet in this season. Um, so that of course, I, like I said, if you're on a if you're if you're in fjord, you can't really you're not going to have advantage of people on the shore, right? if you're if you're if you're sailing up a fjord. Um, but i um I definitely want uh, fjords for the Firth of Drengist, absolutely. So that whole that 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 northern area can be very Norwegian. And Tony, I absolutely insist. Uh, that uh, the fjords uh, be modeled after those designed by Slardy Bardfast. That's 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 obvious, yes. Um, yeah, cool. Um, excellent. Um, ah, uh, yeah, Hakan uh, says the picture on the left allows for Kierden to see the burning ships from afar. Um, right, right, yeah. I mean, is he going to be able to, yeah, he might see that he might actually see the flames. I can imagine. This being something like the coastline where um, where the ships were burned. Uh, so if you know, if we sort of imagine there. Um, in fact, I, this is a this is such a great picture, not only just because it's beautiful, but um, th- this sort of cleft in the mountains here, right? Uh, suggestive, like reminiscent of the Calacirian, a kind of a, a a mirror image reflection, right, of the Calicarian, Um, which is which I which I really like. But yeah, I can imagine this being a kind of shore. That where uh, where Fanor landed and then he burns the ships. Um, but in order to uh, for them to kind of go further and see uh, what's going on, to see them you know sailing up uh, uh, the fjord-like Firth, I think is 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 awesome. Very cool. Lamoth, a bleak coastal region with impressive mountains to the east. This is great. Where is this location, Hakan? Do you remember where this one is? Um, because golly, that's kind of perfect, actually. Um, yes, this kind of, this kind of, uh, bleak coastal flatland, uh, would be, um, uh, would be really, really neat with, with, with some ice and snow involved here, both on the mountains, uh, and on the flats. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this kind of echo of, uh. Yeah, the, I, I think it would be good if the terrain that the Noldor were in were still kind of wintry, right? We're still kind of icy um, to be a sort of an echo, like a faint echo, though, of the Helcaraxa, right? So, so that we get, I, I think that if the Noldor were surrounded by, you know, sort of glacier remnants and, and, uh, and some ice and snow, it would be a, a good way to sort of establish the connection between um to establish the connection between um them and the uh and the 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 followers of engulfing on the Helkaraxa, right uh to emphasize the um uh the contrast between them okay maybe this is alaska hakan oh interesting interesting yeah that's cool um okay uh very good. Um, yeah, Bria's is thinking that Northwestern Beearrian is probably just Icelandic deserts and coastlines. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely see that as a as a basic model. Cool. okay, Hithlam itself, we have the Scottish Highlands as the model for Hithlam that's awesome that is perfect uh i just love this idea oh wait trish i'm sorry did i lose your audio there for a second uh i, I, don't, I don't know if you wanted to uh, uh
1: yeah sorry i didn't realize i had muted i had muted myself on my answer oh, about that you're probably okay.
2: getting my fans no worries, no worries. <laughs> but yeah this uh, i i think this is great because we do want hithlum to be not only just just hilly and it's not so We've got some places surrounded by mountains that are like sheltered valleys. Gondolin being the most extreme example of that, right? But Hithlam is, on the one hand, surrounded by mountains, right? But it's not—it's not like a sheltered valley surrounded by my ma- mountains. So showing it to Hithlam to be a much more rugged, um, you know, sort of upland country, I think, is really—it's uh, um, perfect.
1: Yeah, and I like the mist on the hills and stuff too. Would be kind of cool. I mean, I realize we don't have we don't have the sun convection currents that maybe right. would cause that, but, <laughs> but it'd be kind of cool. So it's not just always starlight, you know, there's like mists yes. and other things.
2: Right, right, exactly. Um, and certainly these are, you know, some of these specific looks or looks that we can, you know, we'll have, we'll have plenty of time in Hithlum later on with, uh, you know, with Hurin and, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Fingon and, and the others. So, um, yeah. Uh, Tony says, does that mean that Fingon's country is going to be primarily a castle culture? Well, we know strongholds are definitely going to be a thing in Hithlum. So I would say yes. I mean, we know that um, they do have strongholds uh, in Hithlum. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, yeah, sort of. I mean, I, and I'm not a castle culture, I, I think, literally. Um, but they, you know, Hithlum knows itself to be on the front lines. You know, I mean, that's... Um, um, that I think is, is going to inform their culture very significantly. Um, So awesome. Yeah, no, that's just perfect. Scottish Highlands, absolutely perfect. Brilliant, uh, brilliant locations there. Um, And so specifically Lake, Lake Mithrim. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Mithrim, Lake Mithrim is huge. Uh so we don't want I like, guess charming as they are, we don't want like a like a mountain tarn, you know, for uh, uh for, for Lake Hithlam, because it needs to be enormous, which means it's you know more like something which is uh more like a crater lake, really, uh is uh is is something that I think would be more accurate for uh Lake Mithrim. Um I would I, I think I would stick with the highlands here if we could. Mostly just for scale and for and for proportion um, to try to make Lake Mithrim there. Uh, Tony, yeah, exactly. I, 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 Mithrim can be a lock. I would be fine with Mithrim being a lock. Um, uh, Zach says, "Is it big enough that you can't see the far shore?" Well, not necessarily. Um, yeah, Phil says looking at the Atlas of Middle Earth, like Mithrim is bigger than the whole Vale of Gondolin. Yeah, exactly. But you can see to the other side of the Vale of Gondolin, so I think it would be okay to be able to see the mountains on the far side. Um, but um, but it shouldn't it shouldn't it definitely shouldn't look like a pond. Uh, it should be uh, it should be it should be very it it, it should be large. Um, would it be long and thin like Loch Ness? Not necessarily very thin. I think. I like a little bit broad, but I'm deaf I would definitely be okay with having um uh Mithrim be longer than it is wide. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, no, I, I was thinking this is from the Highlands and it, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking, uh, for 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 Lake Mithrim. maybe something a little bit larger if we could, or to make it look larger, but um but yeah, yeah, definitely along those lines, I think would be good. Um, there are plenty of locks to choose from. It's true, it's true. One of these days, I'm looking forward one of these days to getting over to Scotland and actually spending some time just traveling around and seeing the landscape in Scotland, which I've never done. I've visited Scotland before, but I really just kind of went to Edinburgh for a few days and that was it. So I, I, I really, I, I, I look forward to the day when I can explore Scotland a great deal more than I have already. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, my, uh, family has just recently made its uh, uh, its plans. We're, we're going, uh, to Iceland this year. I'm gonna go visit Iceland for the first time. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pumped about visiting Iceland. Um, but, uh, anyway, okay. Lake Mithrim. So yes, a big lock. That's what we're looking for. And, uh, uh, rivers. Okay. Yes. So the river Gelian, absolutely. So, uh, so the river Asgar, most of the, the, the more minor rivers, they're big enough to be on the map. So they, they can't be streams, but they should be rough and quick rivers. Um, exactly like this, the river Gelian uh, and the river Syrian, do we get Syrian next? No, we get Helcaraxin next. Okay. Um, Gelion and Syrian are the two biggest rivers. Gelion is the longest river. It's longer than Syrian. Syrian is the biggest river. Um, how big? Trish, how big do you think we want the river Syrian to be? I don't think we want it to be Mississippi River big. No, I don't think so. Um... But it needs to be very large. Um, and most of the time relatively placid. Um
1: uh, no rapids but, or anything like that, right?
2: Yeah, well not, only when we get down to the exciting bits where we have the waterfalls. And we just right. have a waterfall and everything down at the right uh, and, and where it does that awesome thing where it goes underground. Um but no it's not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna be a rapid river. It would be a broad and deep river. Delian I think should be a little bit less broad um than than syrian but it should uh um but it should be relatively placid this is i think a great look uh both of these and we want to be able to see
1: let's see let me just look real quick because i flipped over there yeah we want to be able to see both both the shore you can see across to the other shore so yeah like
2: oh yeah 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 easily easily i mean it's it's definitely uh you know the kind of river that you would need a bridge to cross or or, or you would you know right. have a hard time swimming you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to cross it easily with an army right um uh whereas the other rivers would be easier to to ford right, right. you should be able to right. you can you, you, you ford them in, in 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 some places gellion you would need boats to cross the Galeon or the Syria. well
1: and like phil um, boswell says it would be need to be wide enough that Glaurung would have had trouble getting into nargothrown without the bridge so yes, that's yes, probably our measure. Yes,
2: exactly. <laughs> that's probably our metric yes, right so, there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. And, and Phil, that, that is the Narog, right? Exactly. But no, I mean, the, the, the Narog is over there and it's, uh, uh, the Narog should be deeper and swifter for exactly that reason. Um, so that as the Narog runs in front of Nargothrond, uh, it is, uh, essentially impassable without a bridge. Um, even for dragons Um, so the Narrag should definitely be swifter uh, than either the Syrian or the Galleon, I think but um, yeah yeah cool good the Helcaraxa yeah this is awesome stuff right here Um, I love the chunks of ice sitting around that is that is really like imagining people kind of wading through those you know what with like these chunks of of ice tearing at your legs because they're it's not like they're wearing high tough boots right they're not dressed for this um, yeah yeah um and uh, of course this picture up here making me imagine um uh, you know people falling off of bridges like that or this collapsing under people um yeah very, very cool stuff. Um, I don't know that I, I would want to make it. Where there could be places. I mean, we're coming back to visit them at the Helcaraxxus several times. There could be spots where they're actually having to like hop from one, you know, like icy rock formation to another. Uh, uh, you know, over a field like this uh, would be would be a really good way to sort of convey how difficult the terrain is too. Awesome, lots of really good Arctic landscape possible here. Excellent. Um, and the Aurora, yeah, I would, I'm thinking about colors for the Aurora. Um, uh, And I know it could have any color, huh? on That's why that's what, I'm, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking a paler light. I mean, I guess we'd have to decide. Um, we'd have to decide. Yeah, we'd have to figure out where. What kinds of associations we want to have with it? I'm thinking silvery mostly. That we would want it to be silvery, um, uh, silvery, possibly purplish. I'm less fond of the green. Uh, I mean, I love green, but I, 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 it's my favorite color. But I'm less fond of that here for this uh, uh, for this for this picture. Um, uh, yeah, well, the way Phil we're having the aurora uh, generated, it's a plot point. Um, it is. It's a piece of uh, mercy that's shown. Uh, to the people of Fingolfin. we have, um, uh, and didn't we, didn't we, aren't we partially using this to introduce Tillian? Didn't we have Tillian involved in this process, as I recall? Um, but, uh, but yeah, we have, we have, we have the Aurora actually put in the sky uh, as, a, as a, as like a sign of, of mercy uh, to the Noldor, to the people of Fingolfin, uh sort of acknowledging their courage and their suffering. Um, not l- freeing them from it, right? Not taking away the consequences of their choices, uh, but showing that they're not, that they're not abandoned. Um, yeah. So Tony, it does introduce the fact that the Aurora would then afterwards sort of mean to the descendants of fingolfin kind of, it would be similar to what the rainbow was to Noah in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Quick note to people who are joining us in Twitch, uh, we have a, a GoToWebinar session in which a lot of our participants are speaking, so when I'm reading other people's comments, um, uh, that's where I'm reading them from. I can see your comments up there in Twitch as well, so you can be in either one. Um, if you go to the Silmarillion Film Project page on mythguard.org, you can get a link to our uh, to our session there, so you could join us if you want, or you can stay on Twitch, it's fine. Um, anyway, cool. Hakan says the green uh, makes him think of the undead in the in Peter Jackson's movies. And Hakan, I wasn't thinking that consciously, but once you say that, I think that's one of the, that's why it was making me uncomfortable because it does look like the color that uh, Peter Jackson gives to the spirits. Um, and I would certainly want to avoid that color uh, for that reason. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Arid Lewin. So thinking about the uh, the blue mountains here, um, I think I don't want them to be so. the The Blue Ridge Mountains are kind of uh, um, tempting for obvious name-related reasons, but I, I I think that I think the Appalachians are too. Um, they're they're insufficiently craggy for my tastes um i like the carpathians actually um scandinavian pictures i'm not sure aren't a little too much um i like the carpathians uh this is a good both of these shots are really um that's because we want the blue mountains to be a serious mountain range right um we want them to be like crossing them is a big deal, but they should also be mountains that are not the misty mountains are designed to look like an obstacle to, I mean, or they're designed to be an obstacle to travel, right. Um, uh, to make it hard for people to cross that, that was the point of the misty mountains. Um, so I, uh, Therefore, for the for the for the Misty Mountains, I would really want something like, you know, like the Rockies or the Alps, something like that, which you would look at and say, man, I can't walk over that. Right. That's not possible. Um, At least, you know, we would want that to be the sort of the first reaction to it for the Blue Mountains. I would want something that, again, doesn't necessarily look like the Appalachians doesn't mean you shouldn't look at it and be like, hey, that looks like a fun hike. You should look at it and say okay, this is also this is a, this is a serious mountain range, and yet uh, and impassable in some places, um, and yet something that you might take your tribe of people and say, hey, we can let's let's see what's on the other side of that, right? So this second picture is is what's kind of inspiring uh, that in me as i'm as i'm as I'm looking at that. Not forbidding, but um, uh, but uh, but 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 significant. So yeah, Carpathians, that's cool. That's cool. Um, <laughs> bonus spider caves. but yeah, well, that shouldn't be what uh, Minagroth looks like. But yeah, that's a pretty cool place to have the spiders living, right? Uh, uh, like this is where, this is a, a shot of the scene where like, to imagine Sheelab crawling out of that uh, uh, cave when Thorin-Grethel and Sauron show up to, to interview her. I can see that, definitely. Okay. Um, All right. I'm on Arab and Mount Dolmed, right? So we're looking at particular heights here. Um, I think this kind of thing here. The bottom center is the one that I'm thinking is is really sort of my picture of it. We want it to be uh, a hill, I'm on Arab needs to be a hill, not a huge mountain. Um, It needs to be something that they can climb up and fight from. Uh, You know, it's not something it needs to be accessible enough that the or the orcs can swarm over them. And yet for it to be significantly uh, uh, defensible. Yeah. Yeah, but it needs to rise out of the out of the plane fairly dramatically as well, so that it's it's a, a landmark all around. Yeah, it does have to be a, a, a solitary end. Exactly, Hakon, yeah. Okay. Um, Erid Gorgoroth and Nandun Gortheb. Oh, what wonderful pictures for Nandun Gortheb this, these are. Um, this one here in the middle is my favorite. Oh, that is fantastic. You can totally imagine Baron going through there and uh, uh, being pursued by spiders. That's really great. Um, The Dolomites, really neat for Arid Gorgoroth there. Yes, we want extremely rugged mountains here. Um, Arid Gorgoroth should just look like a death trap. Absolutely. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Exit pursued by spiders, Nick. That's it. Well enter and exit pursued by spiders. We'll be barren for a little while there. Oh great work, guys. You guys have come up with some really uh uh some really awesome pictures here. Okay. Thangaraldrim. Uh we've got uh yeah. Oh I think I think uh I think this is it up here. Yeah. Um these three volcanoes in Russia. That second picture is really neat. Um, we need to think about conceptually. We need to to think about how the strong, like the combination of sort of natural. I mean, we know we know the volcanoes of the Thangarodrim are not natural in the sense that they've been sort of you know put up by uh, by Morgoth. But at the same time, there should be actual. Um, walls right um yeah yeah um yeah they are a bit spread out Hakan. i mean they're close closer together than a lot of volcanoes are right um but um uh but yeah phil is asking are they volcanoes or just heaps of smoking slag i think they should be actual volcanoes i think that would actually help um the uh, I think that that would help the the um I'm I'm thinking here specifically uh, Phil of the Dagor Bragalach, right and the flames which uh which which roll out um I'm imagining sort of the eruption of one of the the volcano like that would be the mechanism right that 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 Morgoth would use sort of the eruption of the volcano and like the 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 this the the onrushing cloud of of ash and fume and you know and 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 burning it just like singes and blasts everything in front of it. Um, the Daco Bragelock is going to be dramatic, right? And uh, and having actual volcanoes uh, to sort of root that to are really good. The way that I think that we can do this, um, I agree that these are these these look sort of far apart. What we would we would need some CGI here because. It needs to look like a stronghold as well. We, we can't just have them marching up to a mountain or a few mountains, no matter how closely set together they are. Um, and I agree that the three sisters in Alberta there, are, are the proximity is, is, is better, right, to have it be really a triple peak. Like that, rather than three mountains next to each other. However, again, I don't want it just to look like, hey, it's a we're going up to a mountain, right? Except this mountain has a bad guy living in it. It shouldn't be like that. It should look like a fortress as well. There needs to be walls and gates and uh, and things. So, if we if we imagine something like these three Russian volcanoes, and we uh, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce them. I'm not going to embarrass myself by attempting because my Russian pronunciation dreadful. dreadful. Um, is I think that we um um I think that we sh- we we can imagine um, as Tony is suggesting like a, a fortress which is like spanning the gaps between the peaks. So uh, I, I'm 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 imagining you know using CGI to create walls and fortresses and 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 uh, uh, and you know uh, like you know parapets and things and 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 and, and gates and walls within walls and. Uh, uh, levels within levels, not just around but in between those so that those are the the mountains are still sort of the primary elements and we know it extends you know the complex of Thangarajram extends far down underground but um, the uh, um, but to to have lots of external construction there too so that it looks like that more Um, yeah yeah um, and, and yeah, it says us again in the Atlas of Middle Earth. It looks like, uh, the peaks of Thangarodrum are like 30 miles from one to the next. Um, so yeah, it's okay to have them far apart. Thangarodrum should be huge. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally fine with that. Um, yeah, and we can use perspective some, Marielle, to sort of suggest their closer proximity to each other. Uh, but, yeah, and no, I, I love this. That's perfect. I, hard, to, hard to do better than, than that. Great job, again, guys, finding these. This is so cool. So now we get to go to Russia, too. This is fantastic. Um, oh, and some awesome details. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, you know, and I look at this this cliff face right here. And I'm thinking about Mythros, right? It can't be so rough that he could get, like, purchased with his feet or anything like that. He needs to be dangling. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I'm sort of imagining, uh, yeah, Mythros being stapled to that cliff. That is awesome, right? It needs to be close enough. We have the scenes with Morgoth standing above him and, and everything like that. But, um, and I'm imagining Hurin's chair, right? Like, the, yeah, uh, up on a peak like this. That would be awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Imagining this view in the background with or you know, again, who are in seats somewhere like that and looking down over the clouds and everything. So cool. So cool. Um Nick's trying to get me to think about Ancaligon the Black, but I'm I'm not going to do that. <laughs> not yet. I don't have time to think about Angkog on the black. That's a problem for another day. Um, yes, Tony, it does make you feel like Mount Doom in Barad-Dur is a child's copy of Thangarodrim, like Ang- or Orthank and Isengard was of Mordor. Yes, yes. Um, th- that's exactly what we should go for, you know. So that Mount, the, the one singular volcanic peak of Mount Doom um, should look like a, a pale copy uh, compared to Thangarodrim. That's so great. Assyrian, yes. Uh, uh, fairly dense woodland, lots of streams and rivers, right? There's, it's uh, lots and lots of water in Assyrian. Because not, not only do we have the seven rivers, but of course we should have lots of little tributary streams. Um, this, uh, this is the perfect Assyrian picture. Oh my goodness, what a wonderful job uh, that that you guys did with this. So cool. Yeah. That's Osirian right there. Absolutely agree. Um, thinking of Neldereth as a beech forest, right? So we've got Neldereth with uh, uh, these are pictures from Germany. Yeah, the more open ground there underneath is I think the, the really important element there. Um, I, I like those. The Anywhere we've got to get the sort of larger, more ancient looking trees, right? That's, that's uh, to me really essential there. Um, Whereas the, I, I like the pictures of Wales and New South Wales uh, that you have there, of course, because of course that's a fun connection. But um, I like those. But the trees look younger, right, in both of those positions. Whereas again, in the in the 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 German forests there, uh, there's that sort of that greater uh, uh, sense of antiquity, which I really like. Okay, cool. Um, it is hard to find really big trees. Yeah, exactly, Hakan. That that's that's uh that is really important. Okay. Reggian, uh holly forest, sure. We've got uh 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 Saint in France. Good, good, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that, yeah. Holly forest is gonna be tricky. So sure, sure, looks great. Love it. Love it. Um yeah, and we are going to need some old hollies. It's certainly true. Um, yeah. yeah. And I uh, I apologize if it seems like I'm rushing. I am, because uh, we still have a bunch to get through. And I want to get back to uh, Philip and our uh, music if we can. Menegroth. Yeah, we got to think about, we have some time for Menegroth, actually, because we only just sort of start Menegroth, and then it gets invaded by spiders. Um, but we also have a description of Menegroth except, oops, wait, it's the description of Moria. <laughs> Gimli's song in the Lord of the Rings, describing Khazad-dûm, was originally the description of Menegroth uh, in, uh, in the Lay of Lathian, like a big section of it word for word. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, there's that. Um but we do get we still do get descriptions uh um we do get descriptions in um in the Hobbit Tony exactly of the elven King's halls and uh, although we certainly want to make Menagroth more, and also it can be diverse as well, right there can be different parts of Menagroth which sort of celebrate different you know, sort of marvels of the natural world. It does, we don't have to have like an indoor woodland theme or something for everything. Um, uh, there, you know, there can be, there can be other elements throughout, but um, yeah, cool. And if, so, yeah, we've got, cause Menegroth is like part, um, it should be reminiscent of, of, uh, of, or yeah, the, so the Elven King's house in Merkwood is like both a, a memory of Menagroth and also a memory of uh, Nargothrond as well, to some extent. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. Mario, yeah, pearls definitely. There should be pearls involved. Totally agree. Totally agree. All right, and I think we have just two more. Ooh, Alqualondë, yeah got a map of Aqualande here um, yes I love the big uh, the 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 big round harbor with the gates over here we have um, the places for the people of engulfing to come up and attack the gates up here while the uh are seizing ships presumably from somewhere central over here right cool very cool excellent and Hildorian yeah yeah our last Um, oh yeah like a night the Jordan River Valley that's really interesting that's really interesting Um, I like that or like a nice African River Valley yeah yeah I think Africa was kind of what I was picturing uh, with Hildorian Um, yeah that's pretty cool. Um, Tony was thinking of southern Mesopotamia. Yeah, I mean, the Fertile Crescent would be a very natural thing to show, right? You know, to to associate Hildorian with the Fertile Crescent. Um, you know, with the Tigris and Euphrates would be kind of neat uh, if we could get uh, if we could get a, some some sort of appropriate. Uh, sort of appropriately virginal seas- scenery, you know? Um, uh, but, um, but yeah, yeah, definitely something like that. That's, that's, uh, that, that I think would be, would be perfect for Hildori and we're not going to spend much time there this season, of course, just a, just a glimpse, just a couple minutes, but yeah, cool. All right. Well, I I, we could spend much more time talking about these and I know I'm rushing through the sets, but I do want to get back to the music as we've got about half an hour left. So for those of you who don't know, Phil has been our our resident composer for the Film Film Project since season one. Um, And you've been able to 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 compose um, a bunch of uh, a bunch of pieces for this year, right? Mm -hmm.
4: Yes, I think you've got about eight or nine.
2: Eight or nine. Uh, Excellent. Yeah.
4: Yes, they're, they're, they they do go back a little bit um, before this season, but um, I've, I've still got a lot of catch up to do. Okay. <laughs> so well, I got some bonus ones.
2: What do you want to talk about first? Which which piece would you like to talk about first?
4: Um, we'll go back go go the two valor themes. I've got uh, one for Este and Lorien and one for Nessa and Tolkus.
2: Okay, all right, two more valor themes. Great. Um, so let's look at let's look at Este and Irmo here, the Gardens of Lorien. So I'm going to mm-hmm. play this. Uh, this should be audible for both people on Twitch and the people in GoToWebinar if I have set things up properly. So we're about to see if I've managed to do that.
4: Yes, I want to keep on working on the Vala themes because um, because I will need them uh, when I eventually compose the anal indolo. And I was very aware that I didn't have a, a full set.
2: Right. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about that theme, Phil. Um,
4: I wanted something nice and soft, just flowing easily, uh, softly. It doesn't have a lot of uh, big leaps in it. It's mm-hmm. uh, keeping keeping very steady in the in the tune and in, in the accompaniment. Um, uh, so yeah, and I wanted two distinct themes, one for one for uh, Este, and then one for Irmo. Um, and i um, actually looking forward to, the, so the middle theme uh, and, uh, was Irmo and then the two were played together at the end. But I'm looking forward to, uh, to exploring Irmo's theme a little bit more when we get into dreams and visions later on in the series.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the great, it's one of the fun things, I would think, hopefully as a composer, but also one of the real challenges is for all of these themes of the Valar that you have made, Um, to make them really work on their own, but also to make them, uh, uh, to make recognizable elements from those themes that we can then work into later things in order to recall them. So as you say, dreams and visions, right? Um, uh, for, for, for Irmo, absolutely. Um, so I'm going back. We have a slide as I recall here. Okay. Right. Um, yeah, great. Um, yeah, so we 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 also definitely want it associated with he, with healing as well, right? So I'm thinking even even in places when we're getting you know a soundtrack uh, in the background at even places like the houses of healing, right? Or or uh, you know whenever uh, whenever whenever Aragorn uh, uh, you know boils Athalos, we should be getting a recollection of the Irmo theme, right? Mm.
4: Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, well one thing we haven't discussed is actually we've talked uh, discussed um Elmo's involvement in dreams by waters yeah. but haven't really discussed ermo's involvement in dreams and visions at all
2: yes yes you're right you're right and of course i mean throughout the text the chief emphasis of course is on is on Olmo, right the chief emphasis is on uh the visions that Olmo sends to people through the water um but you're right Irmo is is very much associated with with visions and dreams. That's his primary thing. Do we want to imply, you know, that he is involved in some ways too? I mean, he is such a low key character in the Silmarillion, Irmo is right. I mean, we, we, uh, we never, and yet, you know, in some ways, the mere reference to Lorien uh, in the name of Lothlorien, right. You know, in, 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 in you know, through, through Goadriel. Makes it a kind of sneakily prominent <laughs> concept uh, when we get to the Lord of the Rings, and yet again we do we ever see him doing? I mean, he almost he does almost nothing. He performs almost no actions mm. in the Silmarillion, you know that we ever see. Um, but uh, but I think it would be it would be cool for us to. So would you think Phil of making some kind of like, Omo, uh, Omo, Irmo kind of, you know, mix for, 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 for the visions, like a, an Omo theme, but an Omo theme, which, which recalls your most? Yeah,
4: yeah I think so. I ha- haven't really, really done a lot on Omo yet. Um, so I've still got that to do, but um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think that could be done where there's a nice sort of mixing of mixing of the two, either, either instruments um, that are associated with them or or, or the actual themes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, sounds exciting.
2: What do you see about the instrumentation with Este and Lorien? Um, oh, I
4: can't remember what, exactly what instruments I used. <laughs> Uh I haven't got music Score open at this moment to see to see all the all the instruments there. But um yes, a few um if you woodwind. Um yes, I think I've got the oboe in there. Um I'd really do like the oboe. Um it has just sort of a nice mellow tone. Um and I, yeah, I there there would there were to be no screeching instruments in that one at all. And if I put anyone to sleep then
2: I've succeeded. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's, that's totally when you know you're succeeding in the, in the Lorien theme. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. That's great. Uh, and then you have Nessa and Tolkis. I remember we were missing them before. So let's, let's, let's listen yes, to Is that what yeah, you want yes, to say before we start it?
4: Uh, it's mostly Nessa. Um, you'll see there are little flashes of Tolkis, and that's for his laugh. I've basically wow. tried to encapsulate Tolkus through his laugh. But this is really wild and uh, from left field. And I don't know whether this would really work in a soundtrack or not. More from a uh, 1960s uh, jazz movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's see.
2: that is really fun. That is really fun. I love the Tolkien's laughing elements. That is so cool. Uh, And the way in which Tolkien's laughter is sort of syncopated uh, to the, to the main beat is awesome. That's really, that, that's, that's really great. Uh, And as, as Marielle says, we've given the brass section something to do, right? And that's, I I
0: was going to say,
1: I could totally see one of those really funky college marching bands doing this song.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
4: I had, yeah. that, I had that. I have had that beat in my head for years. It's from a. Um, it's from an album that I that I got decades ago, and I always had this image of a woman dancing wildly to it. Um, mm-hmm. So it just it just sort of fit, fit in, and that and that that abandon that 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 uh, Nessa has when she dances, I really oh, wanted to encapsulate yeah. that.
2: That that Nessa's dancing should be should be wild uh, rather than rather than you know elegant and stately. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, Nessa's dancing is like the counterpoint to Tolkas's violence, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they, they they're not they're, they, they 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 are complementary to each other, but not in the sense of being opposites or anything, right? In the you know both of them are you know have this you know, abandon and delight in wildness. Right. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, no, I think that that, uh, uh that's really, that's really neat. And yeah. So, uh, uh, but uh, the talk laughter parts were definitely, I, I, I could hear it. I could hear it as soon as it came in. Uh, it was, uh, it was neat. Um, well, had, Marielle, had uh, sorry, go ahead.
4: Um, um, uh, yeah, I had had trouble with conceptualizing a theme for Tolkis right from the beginning, and and um, and uh, you, you you said in the first in the first season, oh no, he doesn't need a fanfare, and I was like, what does he need? And he needs to encapsulate
2: his laughter.
0: <laughs> yeah, laughter
2: yeah, exactly. Because yeah, if, if 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 he's got a fanfare, like you know, Ionwe could get a fanfare, orame can even uh, get a fanfare, though he's more about like hunting horns than he is about you know about uh, about like a bugle. But, but, yeah, Tolkien's laughter is definitely the main thing. Um, yeah, uh,
0: yeah.
2: Mario was suggesting her, she was saying her only concern is that uh, Tolkien's laugh should be, should be more bass, right? She should, should be lower. Uh, she thought it was, it, was, it, was, it was a little high. It sounded a little high. Um, I don't know how it would sound lower, but, I mean, I, I can see what she means by that, that having a, mm-hmm. a more of a basso um, uh, element to his laughter there.
4: Might have you go for plucked cellos rather than plucked violins. Right,
2: right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I'd be interested to see how that would how that would work. Yeah, cool, mm. cool, awesome. Um, so Valinor Rising was the next one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
4: Now I, this this was originally of season one. I did this in season one, but I've recently uh, re. Reproduced it um, with much better software, um, and it has a much better tone to it. But it was also, the, yeah, in season one, he concentrated on the on the Valor theme, so this one just got missed. But this this one is um, is is really sort of um, uh, yeah, as it says, linked into the song Into the West. Um, it's the same chord structure as Into the West, and if if you if you go slowly, uh, you can actually sing along with it. Um, but it doesn't <laughs> actually take in the melody. And so right. this has been a long game. and you know right. my feelings of, uh, of, of Howard Shaw's music like it's canon as far as I'm concerned.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Uh, okay, all right, let's let's, let's listen to Eleanoran Rising. Yeah,
4: so I had, um, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, and um, if you go back and listen to the uh, to the track I did last year on the two trees, um, you will actually hear that the violin's playing the same, playing the same way, um, and the same chord structure as well. So, so I sort of that would be the, the, the great Valinor theme. Um, that would stick with that right, right, right to the right to the very end of the whole series when people are leaving Middle Earth and going back to Valinor.
2: Right, exactly. So this is what we're hearing. Uh, so in a sense, then, as time goes on, this theme would also be sort of a, begin to be associated with Curidon specifically, right, and the Havens uh, as we're as we're as we're setting off. I can imagine. I'm sort of imagining this theme. Playing in the background when uh, when you know very you know echoes of this theme when Legolas is seeing the gulls right in the Lord of the Rings I'm imagining Mm -hmm. this happening. Um, This should be associated with Gondolin. The Gondolin theme should be a, a sort of a variant on this. Think about how much Turgon is trying to like you know, recreate Valinor over in Middle-earth, right? And with his imitation trees and, you know, his gold and silver trees and everything, right? Um, it would be really fun to have the Gondolin theme be be not identical to, but closely tied to this theme. Yeah, this is, for, for me, Phil, this is one of the most fun parts, right? You know, I <laughs> I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm wholly incapable of composing themes like this and I love what you're doing. I can talk about the themes to some extent, but for me, the most fun is thinking about how we can use them, right? The ways yeah. in which they can be folded in and the way that we can um, sort of move story forward and make connections without yeah, having yeah. to, because the, the music is such an important tool to use when thinking about the, you know, our adaptation medium, right? Ways in which we can make story connections and thematic connections just by, uh, just by the soundtrack, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, that's really so yeah. That, that's, that's always what I find myself doing, Phil, when I'm listening to the music, is I'm like picturing scenes. Like, what, at what moments can we uh, deploy uh, these, uh, um, these, uh, uh, these 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 moments? Um, well, uh, Marie
4: Marie had a suggestion, and that was it could be used in the uh, at the end of season three in the raising of the Pelori. Yes, definitely. But I would I would want it to take on a bit more menacing feel
2: exactly a more sort of majestic uh, sort of it needs to be i don't know i mean i'm i'm almost thinking of adding something like almost like a kettle drum kind of sound you know this like mm-hmm. there's like boom, boom boom going you know i, I get i'm a terrible composer but <laughs> but you see the kind of thing i'm talking about yeah. like there needs to be a, um it's ominous right it's ominous and it's, yes. deep and it's it's not just this is not just beauty rising right this is strength rising yes, so so right. yeah it, it would need to be it would need to move in that direction yeah, yeah cool um yeah awesome okay so let's see the next okay. one is the, the, the yep
4: the three kindreds
2: okay all right so we've got so. the venue Boulder and the toari themes cool
4: Cool. Yes, it took me ages to <laughs> to get to get to this point, to get to these three. Originally, my idea was that I would do three themes that sounded different to each other, but when played together, would would play would 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 make some grand whole, and that was just pipe dream stuff. <laughs> There's no way in the world that I thought I could actually do that. So yeah, yeah. so there so. What I've done with these is, and this, this is a task for everyone who's listening, is that you need to listen and try and work out what is similar about all three tunes. Now, they're all very different. I'll tell you one thing that's similar is that they all start on the same note, but they're different in that the first one, the, 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 the Vanya. Um, is the, the the first note is actually the third note of the scale. Mm. In the second one, the first note is the fifth note of the scale and then in the third one that's Soleri, the first note is the first note of the scale. so so even though they all start on the same note, they end up have, they're, they're in completely different keys to each other. Um, they're completely different tempos, um, and they sound completely different to each other. But there is a recurring pattern that is occurring in all three of them. And my clue is um, from that Star Trek episode, Cause and Effect, where the Enterprise blew up at the beginning of the episode, and then they went through this went through this cycle again and again and again. The, the final solution was the number three. Great, great. So that's my that's my hint three think three
2: three okay all right okay let's listen to the van so
4: yep yep so the, so the vanyard yep is. Um,
2: the vocal harmony element of uh, of the Vanyard theme. I think that's 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 really uh, I think it's really brilliant as far as the uh, um, the instrumentation of it. Marielle says she, she it seems to have a, an almost kind of Ave Maria feel without actually sounding like an Ave Maria, which I think is a really good 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 sound. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes.
4: Well, what else are you going to do if you sit around on Tenequitl all day praising <laughs> Manduai right. and Barter? It's got to have that tone to it. So right. that, that it, whole four-part harmony thing going, um, mm-hmm. very Church of England almost, um, right.
2: with, with, without the organs. Without the organs, right. Um, and and also the fact that it would be that it would be voices as well, you know, does kind of connect to the association between the Vanyar and poetry as well, right? So... Right. To, again, that it that it should be verbal rather than instrumental, you know, oral rather than mm-hmm. instrumental. Uh, that That's that. Right. There too. So here's the challenge. Okay.
4: What I like is for someone to write some words to that, and then Mythgard people will sing it, and and will and will we'll, I'll send out isolated parts to people. So if you're interested, uh, uh, send me a ah. message on the forums. Oh, that uh, would be awesome! I send you an isolated score. You record yourself, and I'll mix it all together, and I'll re-release it, and it'll be the the Mythgard singers. Fantastic! Absolutely, we should do that. Yeah, yeah. But need some words. We do need some words. Has has to be in Quenya. Something suitable for those
2: serene bastards sitting up there. (laughs) That's what I I prefer to call them. Yeah, uh, yeah, we should bully Josh Ramsey into writing writing us some Quenya lyrics. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, would be great. Okay, excellent. Okay. Challenge. That's 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 what that's that's what we want to see. Let's make it happen, people. Uh, that would be that would be excellent. Okay, so the Noldor theme. The Noldor. So I've concentrated on their
4: crafting in this um, to represent their character. Uh, there are two different parts of it. Um, One of them, and you'll see there are lots of images of jewellery and and I've tried to make them from old cultures. Um, And then it transitions. You'll hear, if you remember my theme from last year, The Fall. I put The Fall in the middle and a very recognisable scene. Um, And then after that, the the tune takes on a very ominous tone and it can be used. Yes, it can easily be used before and after. Um, Yeah, the first part. In, the, in their heyday when they're creating stuff, but then the second part in the, after the darkening and the and
2: the yeah. exile. Excellent, good, yeah, excellent to have some materials from both sides that we can use, right? In, in yes, in, you know, those stories. And by the and oh, wait, keep
4: listening for keep listening for the pattern as well. Okay, there's the the pattern that was in the Vanyar is going to be in this one as well.
2: Okay, cool, cool. But I was just realizing I forgot to think about the Vanyar theme and when we can use it. Um, I would think that the Vanyar theme would be something that we could bring in. Okay. Here's, you know, when we have the Vanyar theme playing, like pure Vanyar theme, um, on, uh, uh, um, oh, blanking. The, the brain is exhausted. Um, the mental tarma on the mental tarma, right? When, when, mm. when, when, when like the Numenorean worship on the mental tarma is happening, the Vanyar theme should be playing. Right. Mm. Um, because here, of course, I'm thinking about not connections to the Vanyar themselves. I mean, of course, the Vanyar, the only role the Vanyar are going to play post-season three, right after we've left Valinor behind, is going to be when they show up at the War of Wrath, um, and, which is not going to be like, you know, they're not going to be in contemplative, you know, singing their little Quenya songs as they come along at the, in the War of Wrath. Um, but what we would want to do, I think, is kind of associate the Vanyar theme with this kind of contemplative... Uh, and and sort of worshipful attitude, right? Um, So even, you know, we could even have moments where we're recalling the Quenya theme in Rivendell, for instance, I would think. Um, uh, You know, I wonder if even... Oh, you know, when it comes time to doing the musical, to to writing music for the uh, Elbereth Gilthoniel song... It would be cool to have some uh, connections uh, back to uh, the, that 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 Vanyar sound, right? When we're singing songs of praise to Elbereth, seems like an mm-hmm. we might want to harken back to it. Um, anyway, just um, just uh, just thinking of just thinking of that. Now, Mario is saying that uh, if you know, like, things are looking hopeless on the coast of Middle Earth, and then the ships with the Vanyar in them show up, and that that theme plays as the ships of the of you know of the vanyar appear that would be kind of lovely mariel i have to agree with you there okay cool anyway sorry i i realized i forgot to think about that when i want to think about that before we move off to the noldor which is obviously a more readily applicable theme in the sense that we're going to be you know all about the noldor for the for many seasons here so uh okay here we are I loved the transition from mm-hmm. you know from, from from light to darkness there. That was really awesome. That was that was that was Wow. Wow. That was excellent. Um tell yeah. me about how you shift the, 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 the instruments that you use from one section to the next.
4: Um so
2: um
4: let's see, I um mostly change change uh that no, kept change from ma- major key to minor key um mm-hmm. was, uh, was 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 a big thing there um i used the um in the first part i used um flute was quite light um yeah. was was taking the taking taking the main melody uh also i had a marimba which was doing the yeah like the
0: which, yeah
4: yeah yeah to give you that sort of like like in Lotro, when you were you that little tap 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 yeah.
0: <laughs> <The little> <laughs>
4: <sound>. <laughs> so it had had that feel to it um and um and then af- afterwards i um think I, b- I brought the brass in with that bump 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 bump, bump 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 bump, and that that sort of progressively going down and down and down um and um Yes yes I use more brass in that section of course and moved into a minor key um few very slight changes to the melody um, but uh, but yeah that was it made it far quicker as well uh, up the tempo right right that's pretty much how I got got that change
2: yeah and I the the I loved the, the, I mean, I, I know in, in, in large part, it's the shift to the minor key, which gives you the, this, I mean, the sort of the stereotype, right, of minor key is that it sounds sadder, but it really sounded sadder. You know, you, you can right. hear that element of sadness coming into the music, uh, when, uh, when you shift it, uh, around there, but of course, it's not just like depressed music, right? There's still, you know, uh, I, I, it's the, um, um, it's the similarity to, um, uh, to the first half that I that I liked as much as the differences, right? Um, mm. So yeah, yeah, that's great.
4: And also also in the second, I kept the rimba in the second half, but yes. it wasn't that. It was just that bong bong bong, which sounds much more like hammer on anvil.
2: Yes, yes, yeah. The shift from jewelry to <clears throat> to weaponry, yeah. which of course you were emphasizing in the images there. Uh, yeah, you can really hear that. Uh, in the sound there. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So thinking about applications is that obviously lots and lots of opportunity for applications of, of, uh, of, of the Noldor theme. Um, one of the things though, that I'm, uh, that I'm thinking we want to make sure that we want to keep the like good, um, the good Noldor
0: theme,
2: right? Sure. Um, we want to keep the the good Noldor theme around. We don't we, we, we want to stop playing that just because they've fallen, right? Or only right. play it orphan orphan's people or something like that. I think we want to keep it around because what we want to suggest with that is that it's, there should still be the sort of pure impulse, uh, you know, like that sort of pure creative impulse in the Noldor, you know, that, that, uh, um, you know, the sort of the virtuous sub-creator impulse, uh, in the Noldor, it's, it doesn't die, right? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's tarnished. Like they're, you know, they are, uh, they are marked, they are, they are wounded, you know, they're, um, they're damaged, but they're not totally changed, right? You know, they don't make nothing but weapons now. Um, so, you know, finding moments where we're really recalling that, um, uh, when we see the Noldor at peace. Again, here I'm thinking we, you know, we work this in, in places, certainly like uh, like uh, Nargothrond um, uh, and Gondolin. Um, Marielle is wondering if we could, uh, you know, transpose some of that theme for other instruments and make it the crafting theme, right? So when we have people, you know, when when when, when we're focusing on the the craftsmanship of others, you know, it, it can be uh, sort of that theme adapted. In other instrumentations and in other contexts for for other you know other races and other situations, but that the Noldor theme could be the kind of underlying you know theme that kind mm-hmm. of is the theme for crafting and subcreation of that kind. It's an interesting idea.
4: Hmm. Uh, yes, possible, possibly. I think we did talk about um, theme one from the Ainulindalë being one associated with subcreation as well. Right. Right. So,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we we don't want to make the Noldor too normative, right? You know, they're not like the ultimate craftspeople. They're just they are no. they are one of the craftspeople, and certainly one of the most prominent. But yeah, we we don't want to necessarily make them the archetype for all craftsmanship, um, you know. And yet, you know, having there be some kind of, uh, you know, link. Uh, there, I think, is important. Hmm. But. You do
4: things like instruments. You can
2: share instruments yeah. between cultures,
4: which yeah. you get across that idea of crafting. Yeah,
2: cool. All right, cool. Um, so, all right, let's listen to Larry. And anything you wanted to say Larry, about the before we start?
0: Yeah.
4: Um, so I consider them to be the most peaceful of the races, and the and the of the kins, and they're sort of mostly at peace with at peace with the world more than the other than the other uh, two kins. Um, I, you might notice I've been using more images, uh, artwork from from different from different artists, um, mm-hmm. which has been been really good making contact with those artists as well. But um, I really like in this one they, f- I found a rare image of Lenway. There are no images of Lenway out there (laughs) at all. And and, and I've focused on, as I have in the other two pieces, um, I've focused on the images of the people um, in front of those heraldic devices that Tolkien actually designed himself. I mean, I'm old school. When I first read The Silmarillion, I had got The Silmarillion Calendar in 1979, and the only artwork around at that time was by Tolkien himself. So I I really, I really love those devices. So they feature quite heavily um, in this one, and um, and if you listen carefully with this one, um, you'll hear a continual echo of the of of the theme being played um, by instruments higher and higher, and that and I've written it that way, to get across the sort of straggling nature and the wave upon wave upon wave of Tulare coming over, (laughs) not not, not as one group. So that's the main reason for for how I've written it that way. Um, And and there are a couple of um, second half that I've gone on Mark Knopfler on you all, Um, uh, which is a a very, very good change, and the key change there I, I Boy, I struggled with the key change, but, as, uh, but, but it works works really well. Um, but The other things there are two Easter eggs. I don't think Corita's with us here tonight, but there's an Easter egg in there for Corita um, from a theme that she and I worked on ages ago in there, and there's also an Easter egg right at the very on, which is a shout out to, once again, Howard Shaw's um, piece and Annie Lennox's theme, Into the West. So if anyone yeah. can pick that right at the very end, um, <laughs> they can... They, it, yep. Please, please let me know if you pick it up.
2: Excellent. And keep okay.
4: listening for for the pattern, the same pattern as in this one as was in the
2: first two. Right. Okay. gonna I, I would have guessed flute as the dominant instrument at least for the for the you know for the initial part of the Teleri, which I think is, is great I, I think it's perfect um, of course you know I can't help but think of the um, I can't help but think of the you know the the, the original name of the Tulare the solo simpi, the the Shoreland oh, Pipers right? right so think about uh, you know a sort of read or not not read instruments but uh, um, Thinking of 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 wind instruments like that, like flutes and uh, uh, and and, and, and panpipes and things like that, are always the kinds of sounds that I've associated with the Teleri for that reason. Um, mm. So yeah, that was cool. What was that? What was that instrument? That that sort of uh, like plucked sound? I, I I'm not sure even how to describe it. In the second half of the,
4: in the uh, second half. of... That was just a steel string guitar, as far as my software okay. could could make it sound like a steel string guitar. But right. you could you could you could take that to to, to, to plucking of a lyre. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It had flute, um, clarinet, uh, piccolo as well. So that was the progressively higher registers as the as you got the repeat, the repeat, the repeat, really high. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Now are you are you imagining, as you say, you know, we've got all the different um, the different people of the Teleri. In particular, we have four really four major groups that we're interacting with during season three, right? We've got the yeah. we've got you know the Teleri of Olway over there in Aqualonde. Um, We've got uh, uh, the the Philothrim, right? We've got Kierdan and the folks of the havens. We've got the Sindar proper, right? um with uh, uh and his folks and then of course we have the have the green elves coming in and playing such a big role in the middle of this season um do you see different like uh, would you want to sort of distinguish among them chiefly by instrumentation do you think or would there be different like, different parts of that theme that were were you thinking of having those associated you know where was there a particular section of that theme, for instance, that like where you're thinking about Thingol and other places where maybe it's sort of more green elfish, you know? Do you see what I mean?
0: Um,
2: I see
4: what you mean, but but no, not 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 in not in that piece. Um, there weren't specific parts of that which which uh, which referred to various uh, the, the the various groups, but um, but yeah, I would keep the I would keep the main theme. Um, throughout, I think one of one of the difficulties that the, that I had um, reading the Silmarillion was, yes, all all the different groups um, splitting off, and particularly when the Teleri start splitting off. At least if you got the same theme associated with them, it's it's easier to associate them, them with, with, with each other and not get confused that they are, actually the, they are actually of the same kindred. I'd use different instrumentation, of course, um, and there, there was the previous piece I did last year, Almo and the Shoreland Pipers, um, which used piccolo quite heavily in that, and there was, there was its own theme in that as well. So pro- probably, yes, it would probably go towards different instrumentation and then possibly from that into, in, into another one. This, uh, Having explored this theme, now it's sort of I've got a much closer link between this theme and purpose as well. I'd be able to I'd be able to bring this theme uh, modulate this theme into the purpose theme much more easier. Right,
0: right, right. right. Which, yeah. which
4: is what I was looking for.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that is you know, uh, Phil, the 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 kind of longitudinal project that you've been doing here is so neat. I mean, it's so neat to see. Uh, all those different stuff, like the, the 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 fall theme and the purpose theme, you know, that we were working on last season, uh, and then all of these different, both you know, whether they're the character uh, themes, like the like the Valar themes we were looking at at the beginning, or um, sort of people and culture themes that we're lo- looking at now with the three different kindreds of the elves. Um, the of course, you know, these are. These are, are are really cool and fascinating, just as pieces of music, right, on their own. Um, but thinking about uh, thinking about not only how they can be applied in different contexts in, in in the story, but also about how they can be combined and and, and kind of work together in order to uh, uh, to make a more uh, sort of intricate and detailed sort of musical narrative, right, is really neat. That's that's mm. that's a lot. So of fun. did
4: anyone so did anyone get the link between the three? It's a pattern. It's a pattern of notes.
2: A pattern of notes. Well, is it the, the pattern of the kind of uh, that kind of uh, like arpeggio pattern that we, that we are no. hearing now?
4: Okay, my clue was three. Right. So each of the themes has the same note played three times. Oh. So the Vanya starts da 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 da. The Noldo goes da 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 da. Right. And then the Teleri goes da 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 da, and that pattern of three continues throughout all three of them. So whenever you, and even the final notes of the Noldor one was that really the bum bum bum. That's still a reminder. I mean, the Elves to me were the were the, the closest of all races to to each other, mm-hmm. and and. Musically, it's going to remind you that that the three races are really one and the atrocities that are carried out are even worse because of, because of the closeness of the olds to, to each other. Right. So there's that constant reminder that the three are one. Okay.
0: Every cool. time you hear that's
4: a theme. Great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Awesome. I love that. Cool. All right. We should push along. We're running out of time. We're already late, but that's okay. Yep. We start... So we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're okay with being late, but we wanna we wanna move along. So we've got the tell us about the words of mockery thing. <laughs> okay, so this was from your challenge to
4: uh, write a song sung by Diarmuid Minstrel, um, and uh, you wanted the words Attacott and Tomnoddy in there, uh, so I've put them in. So um, so uh, yes, here it is. So I've so I chose the three the three things that. Uh, closely associated with the elves and that is the their um, their uh, enmity with the dwarves um, their animosity towards all evil creatures and of course Luthien. um so so the so, so there's three verses um, the one one for each topic so it is me singing um, and um, it was a bit of fun I make no claims about my poetry at all. <laughs>
2: All right, here we go.
3: The cinder in the forest made their home in Manor Groth. Walls of Delacoste came down and threw who in their lot. They borrowed down without the stars in tunnels deep and wide. But if we find they're running a gem business on the side, we'll call them at a cop. Tom naughty. These are words of mockery. If you fight it or deny, you'll earn our enmity. I live in peace throughout the realm of Doriath. Our graceful king and my our queen doth lead us on the path. But on the borders of our land we are surprised to find some evil creatures without good intentions on their mind. and had a cock Tom noddy. These are words of mockery. If you fight it, you will feel our animosity. Now Luthien, like Nifredel, is regarded most fair. She dances here and frolics there, and all without a care. In fact, it often seems as though she has a one-track mind.
0: So her that she just lost responding in kind. She calls me
3: had a cockney. tom noddy These are words I do not fear. I don't fight it or deny. She hears my heart, my dear. I won't
0: fight
2: it or deny, she is my heart mighty. <laughs> uh, that's, that's very funny. I really like the, um, I, I think that the, the style is really great for Dairon. The sort of like the, um, it's like a, like a harped, uh, like a satirical harped ballad, right? I think that's, uh, that's good. Uh, the, the first verse about the dwarves was was uh, was my favorite.
4: Uh, for a little while, I felt like I was channeling uh, brave Sir Robins minstrels.
2: <laughs> right. That's always the risk, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
4: uh, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. fun. I did have a couple of continuity errors in there before I uh, – and I'd recorded it before I realized that, I, that I'd that i made mistakes. One was um, I said that the dwarves burrowed down night and day in tunnels deep and wide.
2: Oh, right, right, yeah.
4: It's always oh, so little,
2: hard to avoid those kinds of words. Yeah, yeah.
4: And the other one was in the third verse. And, and of course, uh, I, I wrote, now Luthien Tenuvial is regarded most fair. Uh-huh,
2: uh-huh. right. Darwin right.
4: would not be
2: saying that name, Tanuvial. Exactly. Right. He wouldn't call her that. Yep. No, that's true. That's true. A little continuity issue, but that's all right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when she does get the name Tanuvial, he was not going to call her that. So. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So, so tell me about the girdle of Malian piece. We, we're, I'm, uh, we gotta, I gotta wrap up in a few minutes here. Yep. Tell me about the yep, yes. girdle of Malian piece. So this
4: is, this is the big one. Um. This Basically, uh, is how I've worked out theme one from the for the anal lake. This is theme one. Um, It's in it's in two parts. Uh, The first part is uh, Melian's um, internal struggle while the while uh, Menegroth is being besieged and starting to be overrun by spiders. Um, And now I felt that uh, now I did this before I'd actually listened to the session. Um, discussing dis- discussing the girdle, and mm-hmm. it can't cu- end up being sung into being. Um, so I've gone off on my own tangent here, and I've given you an Iluvatar moment, similar to similar to Manway's Eluvia moment back in season one, um, right. when you listen to the music again. So what I've done this is that um, you you hear very faintly at first just the pluck. Of Olivetar's note over and over and over again, it gets louder and louder until eventually, um, eventually Melian hears it and understands that she should be looking to Olivetar for for the solution, and the solution is actually in the power of the first theme, the first theme. So I might have taken a few liberties in 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 how I've used the words, um, but I've written it in um, in a v- in Valarin, uh, the language of the Vala, and you'll appreciate that very difficult because there are only about two dozen words, so it's very <laughs> difficult to to get a story out of two dozen words. Yes. Um, yes. So, so uh, yes, there, there's there's the translation. I I don't know. Yes, I don't know whether they liberties by by using "ear" and um, in saying "let it be," uh, "let it be." Eru. Um, so she's really So. I'm really saying, sort of, the power for what's happening is channeled through 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 Melian, um, and uh, uh, yeah. So yes, that's that's uh, that's the translation there. Um, my good friend Cheryl from Choir sang it for me, and she did a lovely job. She has no, she hasn't even watched Lord of the Rings movies. Um, <laughs> she had no no idea of Tolkien at all, but she but she jumped on board and she did a lovely job. Um, and it's yes, she did a very, a very nice job of it
2: excellent excellent okay this is the one i've been most looking forward to so here we go yeah. Love that! Oh my goodness! And I think you know I would also add just sort of conceptually, um, that yeah, that as you were saying, sort of the direction that you took this in. We didn't talk about this explicitly, um, though. Certainly, one of the things, um, one of the things that I have expressed kind of concern about is making Melian look to. Um, I don't know, huge, right? Uh, she's very powerful, but she's not, uh, you know, we don't want to just make it look like Melian is overwhelming everyone, right? Um, and that it's just like her asserting her own power. Just So I love this. I love this element. I think that, that um, you know, having her, having the girdle of Melian be something wherein she is appealing explicitly to, uh, to the music that we are seeing that, you know, this reprise of the first theme I think this is a brilliant, brilliant concept. Uh, and I loved, um, I, I think that the, the sung pieces is, is excellent. Um, I love the, <clears throat> I love the peacefulness of the entire piece, especially knowing when it comes in, right. You know, that we're having, this sort of desperate fight against the spiders, and it looking like the, you know, Shilob and company are going to come in and destroy everything. You know, the Sindar are just about to fall, and then, you know, for this song to be the response to that, you know, this this AI uh, Eru um, uh, repeated theme uh, is is just is just wonderful. I think that's really great.
4: Yeah, yeah, it was sort. This this is my major work for this year. <laughs> This this yeah, was this oh. was the big one.
2: Yeah, this yeah. is it's absolutely excellent. No, I, I think it's a it's it's a wonderful um it's really a wonderful conceptual addition, I think. Um and it really helps, I think, to contextualize the girdle in a really fascinating way, right? This idea that the girdle of Melian I mean it is Melian, right? It's it is worked by Melian and through Melian, but this is also sort of Melian directly appealing to a uh, you know, this mm. is directly supported by Iluvatar in this sense, right? That she is—it mm. uh, is in her submission to Iluvatar and in her um, appeal to aluvatar that the that the strength of the girdle rests, right? I, that I think is is excellent, as really. Mm. And it,
4: and in a way, the girdle represents Aya Unmarred. Yes. This, yes. This is how things things were meant to be. Um, and so, and so this, this, this really came out of last year's musical discussion where we had a really robust discussion around what the three themes would, would represent. And I really clung on to oh, the Girdle of Melian is a really good example of, of, of the first theme. So effectively, yes, I've, I've done the first theme and um, it may appear a little bit differently in the Little A when I finally write it, but it'll be this, this is the tune that will be theme one in, in the Little A.
2: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, exactly. And, um, yeah, that, that, that Arda Unmarred concept, right. And if you think about it, when the girdle of Melian falls, right, the girdle of Melian is going to come down essentially after it's, it's Fingal's fault, right. Um, his taking and keeping of the Silmaril, you know, then what happens with him, you know, how his desire for the Silmaril corrupts him and how he ends up being killed by the dwarves. Right. Um, uh we see it sort of fall from so when this sort of marring happens you know within you know when when that uh when the you know the, the 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 curse of the Noldor you know gains a foothold there uh in in Doriath and stuff, then it's after that that the girdle is gonna fall um or is gonna is gonna come down uh so we can see a sort of reprise of the marring of Arda right in the fall of of Doriath, which I like I, I think that's really. I like think it's really excellent. Um, yeah, cool, cool, excellent. All right, we have one more piece, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Correct. The of wait- then. Okay, so this is our last. it's the last final theme of the scene. season, right? Absolutely, the final scene. Okay. Um, and uh, of course, you're going to be thinking, we're we're, we're going to be thinking about the second theme, right? Of the of the this- Junction? Um,
4: no, not necessarily. Um, yeah. What I've done, what I've used here is, um, is uh, a chin that I'd done uh, previously, another one that Corita um, had uh, thrown my way and I uh, took it and wrote accompaniment and embellished it. This is one of the embellishments and this really to me encompasses the, the mystery of men. History. Where 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 have they come from? Where right. where where do they go? Right. So that that, that and, and ca- can I actually say Corey and Dave, I know Dave isn't here, but, but how could you when you were discussing this scene um in the session, you said and there'll be silence. Like, there'll be silence. There'll be silence. I mean perfect opportunity. to introduce to give you a tantalizing glimpse of a major new theme that's going to recur in the next season
2: you're right i am fitly rebuked absolutely yeah yeah no silence wholly inappropriate totally agree totally agree evocative theme yeah yeah no no you're right you're right and I'm just realizing, by the way, that I was, I, again, my brain is exhausted. I was thinking of the third theme, not the second theme uh, of the Anna Lindley when I was thinking of men. Mm. Um, but, but whatever, it's fine. I just was realizing that I misspoke earlier.
4: Okay. Um, and I've, I've, I've tried to basically, you, the graphics in this basically mirror uh, what, what you discussed and described. This is sort of like a storyboard.
2: Okay, great. Excellent. Let's listen. Okay. Roll, okay, roll credits. Roll credits, exactly, exactly. Cool, cool. yeah, short, tantalizing as you say, you know, that sort of, that I, I love the, the sort of the rising sense as well as you say the the sense of mystery, that works for me. Cool, mm. cool. good, mm. you're right, yeah. Not silence, not silence. This is so much better than silence. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Awesome. I'm, I'm just- I'm
4: just really glad that taking photographs of masses of nude people is a thing at the moment.
0: Because I promise,
4: <laughs> although, although, although I think, I think that Nick, I think that Nick was going to do something about getting a mass photo of, of, of all Mythgard people. I think he mentioned something about that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll schedule that into Mythmoot next year. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs>
4: So yeah. You, see, you see, how, see how it played like a storyboard? This is one yeah. thing that I, that I would really love, and that is a few times now I've actually uh, composed music that actually plays out a scene. I would love it mm-hmm. if some of our artists out there could actually work with me and we would produce a fully storyboarded scene with music to go to it. That would actually be fantastic. I would love to do that. So any of our artists, please contact me at... Even if you want to do ones that I've already done, I'm happy to happy to do that. I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll redo the video with with new graphics and repost it.
2: Would love to yeah. do that. Awesome, yeah, that'd be that'd be that would be great fun. That'd be great fun. Cool, excellent. Um, well, course so thank you.
4: Oh, oh I was yeah, just gonna sorry say about... There's um, apart from the other project about the vanja and singing. Um, I also would like to work on a choral piece for the vow. Ah, um, right. Okay. Right. So this would sound a bit like the vocals in the Duel of Fates from Star Wars or from the Revelation of the Ring Race in um, in uh, Lord of the Rings. Um but once again, I would need people. Marie's already done a fair amount of work on the on the text um, and she's based it on the uh, uh Dies Irae. From from the requiem. Um, yeah. So so once again, if you are interested, let me know, oh, yeah. and uh, we'll yeah. get we'll, we'll get something the done whole for that. Oath of Stan piece would be amazing.
0: Yeah.
4: Yeah. Awesome. And I'll put some I'll put some posts on the on on the uh, on the forums for any any other suggestions. But also the other question is was there anything today that you think could replace Bobway theme for. <laughs> with the
2: podcast thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can. Well, def, we can definitely we'll definitely look into that uh, for because this is uh, the final episode. In fact, the final moments of season three. Uh, so yeah, when we go into season four, we'll definitely we'll definitely look into that. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Thank you, Philip, so much for your work uh, on this. Uh, always great to review these things with you and uh, uh, and think about I, I, as I said, this um, it's easy to think about, and we op- often talk about like the challenge of adapting the Silmarillion into a visual medium, which is, of course, a, you know is a major challenge and, and interesting to think about, but of course, it's not a purely visual medium, right? Uh, there are, uh, uh, it's you know the integration of the uh, of the audio elements. Um, and especially you know the music and the soundtrack and, and the way that we can um, interconnect uh, and uh, uh, b- interconnect the the narrative themes um, through the, uh, the, the, the the alteration deployment adaptation um, of, uh, of of these different musical themes is, is a is a very rich uh, sort of field of storytelling which i think is, is a great fun. So, thank you so much for helping us with that. Uh, that is wonderful work. I certainly encourage everybody to look at uh, Philip Menzies' uh, YouTube page uh, here, um, where he has material that he's composed for all three seasons of the Film Film Project so far. If you want to go back, if you've missed uh, some of the earlier stuff and you want to look at some of the earlier themes, the Manway theme, the Melkor themes, the, um, uh, the Sauron themes... Uh, uh and uh some of the the the, the larger question that you know the 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 purpose themes and some of the earlier elf themes from last year uh lots of really great stuff there so uh thank you so much philip for joining us glad we we're able to get the audio sorted out too so
4: yes yes i'm glad to my pleasure thanks for having me
2: yeah thanks for thanks for joining us and so i'm going to say farewell and this as i said is the end of season three uh the plan We're going to come back and talk about season four we're not sure of the exact date yet uh we're still deciding that it's going to be in september we're going to take a little a little bit of time off i'm thinking probably towards the end of september uh is when we're gonna is when we're probably gonna be able to come back uh for season four um but yeah sometime middle to end of, of of september look out for announcements with that i think we're going to use the same uh webinar link for those of you who are joining us in the webinar um uh, I'm going to see if I can if I can continue to use the same link. We'll see if that works or not. Um, and um, uh, but otherwise, the the link will be posted certainly on the Film Film Page. Um, so. Thanks for your work next season. The first job, of course, is to figure out the scope of season four. Where are We gonna, We know where we're starting. Where are we going to stop season four? And what are we going to cover and how are we going to do that? Lots of really fun discussions to have uh, that we've been building up to for a while here. So looking forward to getting back and discussing that as we move forward in season four. Um, uh, so we'll have a little bit of a time off, but I hope you guys will stick around and, uh, and join us for season four in a few weeks, in about a month, month and a half. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. And I will say, as always, thanks for listening. Godspeed.